This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy Tuesday. Uh, it is Tuesday. Man. And you know, it's crazy because I leave for a day and then Donald Trump all of a sudden seems to be in more trouble. I do not know what it is. Wrong. Wrong. I'm telling you. But you can't even make a little comment to the Russian delegates. Come on. Just can't give a little top secret information without everybody freaking out. What's going on? We'll get to all that fun straight ahead. Plus, uh, today we're going to be talking about the state of residential solar power. Have you two uh, gotten into the solar power debate yet with your neighbors? No. I feel a commercial coming on here. It's a really great moment the minute (laughs) the guys start knocking your door and say, hey, we're doing solar panels. All your smart neighbors have them. And it's always one of your neighbors goes ahead and gets the panels yeah. and then they start, you know, blanketing your neighborhood right. and say, "Hey, look, they're right there." And and it's and it usually like really is the smartest guy in the neighborhood. Like the engineer. Sure. Cuz he's the one that figured out that, you know, I get enough sunlight that uh this yeah, is going to in about seven and a half years this will pay off. Yeah, pay it off in like 20 years. It's great. My brother has panels on his house. Does he? Yeah. I all my neighbors have them and I'm I didn't jump in. I'm not an early adopter. How but, how does it look? When it you looks, look at their house and it they looks have the trashy. panel, yeah, it looks. That's my problem. Is yeah. you put them, the, the you have to have it so that your the back of your house. That's my house. Is what faces my the sun. house is perfect for it. Yeah. It's perfect. It would be my. But here's the deal. Then you have to drill a lot of holes in your roof and, and put a lot of weight on your roof. Call yeah. me old fashioned, but I learned you're old fashioned. Okay, so call me that. You told me to do it, and I'm thinking. I don't want to drill a lot of holes in my roof. My roof's working perfect right now. Yeah. So, But it could work for you. That's what they say. Yeah. But then all of a sudden they start talking about the fact that we, in Utah we have to write like two checks. Yeah. So you still have to pay – you have to pay off your panels to one place. But then you have to write the check to the power company and the power company won't necessarily write you a check back. And they just – they'll credit you, but the credit isn't like an even credit and – And then if you go to sell your house, yeah, like the panels are a separate issue. You're and make, so the new yeah. homeowner has to come in and agree to take over the payments on the yeah. panels also or then you still owe yeah. on the panels that it's you're not a 20, going to be using? It's a 20-year contract. <sighs> and I'm like, well, what if I'm not going to be in my house that long? Well, well the, the next just people, don't move. Just yeah. don't move. But for sure the next people would want them. I'm like, well, not if they're leaking. And <laughs> You know what I would be more likely to invest in since it's so windy in our uh, neighborhood? String cheese. No. Okay. Ooh, good guess. Like some of those wind turbines. Wind. <sighs> really? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see your neighbors after you put one of those up. <laughs> like the big, nice wind but turbine. But, I mean, you know, we may not want to capture the energy of the sun, but the energy of the wind. <sighs> mm. It reminds me of like a Disney song. Isn't there a song? Well, there's the colors of the wind uh, from yeah. Pocahontas. Yeah, it's bad. The wind is one thing, but when the wind is all colorful, mm. whole different thing. Whole different problem. So we're going to be talking about the state of residential solar power. By the way, it's it's actually it's taking off. Now, do you know we could just not put, put them on our houses, but instead let's just designate an area in the country yeah. 
and just put solar farms out there. Like the vast deserts of the West. It would have to be exactly. It would have to be about the size of one of the Dakotas. No one's using Wyoming right now. Dakota Fanning. <laughs> Wyoming's open. But you know, we really do have a lot, and I, I think a lot of farmers would be like, "I'll hey, yeah, it's easier than growing corn, right? Once you get those panels up, you just sit and watch them, and then you know, bring you know every year bring in the the baby calves and do the calving of the <laughs> what of the solar power calving. Okay, I don't know. We'll get to that. Uh, fun straight ahead, of course, plus, uh, you know, other interesting empty news, we call it. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country we should be watching out for? Research at Symantec and Kapersky Lab. You may know those names because they come preloaded on your computer if you oh, buy Oh, yeah, one. those guys. They have discovered a potential link between North Korea and the WannaCry ransom virus that swept the world over the weekend. Code from an earlier version of the virus reportedly matches code from used by the Lazarus Group, which researchers believe to be a North Korean hacking group. Oh, boy. Could be the guys that broke into Sony a couple years ago, if you remember that. While the evidence is still too sparse to link WannaCry definitively to North Korea, the code is the best clue we have seen to date as the origins of WannaCry, Kapersky Lab's researcher, uh, reports. So the North Koreans. Yes, North Koreans. WannaCry has affected more than 300,000 computers since Friday, locking the machines until their owners pay a Bitcoin ransom, including the National Institute of, or the National Health System in London, a big Hold chunk it. of it. Did you hear about all this? Yeah, I did, but I all thought right. Symantec, I thought they were protecting us from anything like this. No, they're, well, yeah, but they have, uh, or they have like, uh, what do they call them? They have a huge... Like operations center where they watch the like the world networks and okay. see when things are happening and then try to try defend to, you yeah. against those. Sure, okay. And uh, the Kapersky lab they're located in Moscow, so keep that in mind. Huh. They're also kind of owned by certain governmental entities over there. Weird. Ford is announcing a plan to cut 10% of its global workforce later this week. The Wall Street Journal reports the Dearborn automaker has been under pressure both from its board of directors and from shareholders in recent days to show that its strategic plan for working as U.S. industry sales begin to decline for the first time in seven years. Mm. Ford's profits sank 35% during the first quarter to $1.6 billion as higher costs for warranties, recalls, and materials erode profits. Ford could outline the job cuts as early as this week. According to the journal, the cuts are said to largely target salaried employees. It's unclear if hourly factory workers are included in the cuts. Really? We'll see what happens okay. there. A pizza delivery man in Delaware got an order from an unusual ad- address, a stalled Amtrak train from New York on its way to Washington. Passenger uh, Mitchell Katz posted a video of a delivery man, Jim Leary, walking up to the train Sunday even uh, Sunday evening as it sat on the tracks. People on board were getting restless after being left without access to food or water during a long delay, and eventually some passengers came up with the idea to order a pizza. So, Larry, a driver for Dom's Pizza in Newport, Delaware. You ever try that one? No. It might be pretty good. I don't know. It tells the AP that he cut through a backyard, navigated a steep embankment, jumped over a water-filled ditch, all while balancing two pies in order to make the delivery. The uh, 46-year-old Larry was awarded with a cheering crowd of passengers and a total of $32 in tips for his effort. Wow. Leary's a – this is the, the thing that kind of caught me off guard. Leary, a 17-year pizza delivery career – driver has brought him to addresses in 32 counties across 18 states but he said a broken down train is definitely the strangest oh that's interesting 17 years he's been delivering pizza wow that's a lot of pizza pie yeah 
Man. Finally, hackers cl- uh, claim to have stolen the upcoming Pirates of the Caribbean film, or Caribbean, depending on your regional <laughs> choice of words. Or Pirates. Right. And are demanding that Disney pay a ransom or else they, they will release it online, according to The Hollywood Reporter. And, oh, those rude. And Deadline. When, uh, where, where there doesn't appear to be proof yet that the hackers actually have taken the movie, the series of events closely mirrors what happened a few weeks ago with Netflix, the Netflix show Orange is the New Black, where hackers held them at ransom. And they went ahead and released it online anyways. The hackers are demanding an enormous amount of money. According to Deadline, they're asking to be paid in Bitcoin, which would make it harder to trace. The reporters say that the hackers say that they would release increasingly long chunks of the movie if their demands are not met. Wow. Disney's reportedly refusing to pay, has begun working with the FBI. And, uh, yeah, that's the fifth entry to the Pirates series was supposed to be released on Friday. Well, have you seen the others? I think Disney's just saying, yeah, you can have it. (laughs) You've seen those, right? The same same stuff. There's dead pirates and, yeah. Is is the Kraken in this last one, too? I think it was only in part two. Yeah, it (sighs) it might have, like, Kraken Jr. I love the Kraken. we'll see what happens. I think it has Kraken Jack in it. Mm, I love Kraken Jack because there's that prize. Yeah. The bottom of the box. Mm. Kraken Jack. Hey, I don't know if you guys got to this while I was gone. Callista Gingrich. No. Will soon be named the ambassador to the Vatican. Wow! So she, now is she, she qualified? Do you need oh, to be for qualified? Sure. sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those appointees across multiple presidencies are. Yeah. How much money did you donate? Yeah. You get to go to Sweden. Yeah. It's just. Whatever. But this is a big one. You get to go to the Vatican, hang out with the Pope. You're the representative well, you to the Vatican. You don't hang out with the Pope. You he just, has, he has people. No, you I talk I'm sure to. you do tea. Really? Yeah. Tea with the Pope. Mm-hmm. Huh. And uh, time's just a ticking away. Um, I so um, I don't I don't know if you guys heard, but I had another attack of the gallbladder. Mm. And while I was down, I found this really great thing that I bought online. This better not be another a, fidget toy. A new gallbladder? No, oh. I, I wish. <laughs> they just have them right there. Hey, they're wholesale. The two for one. In fact, do they we, either of you the, need a gallbladder? They cut out the middleman. Literally, they really Sorry. did. Um, no, it's called an anxiety blanket. Is it like a Snuggie? Yeah. It's, it's, an, it's an anti-anxiety blanket. So, so if, a if you, or something on it? You, no, 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 no. Did you join a cult? No, no, I didn't. 18% of the American population suffers from anxiety. And listen to this. In response to the troubling statistic, a company now um, is, has found out that you they've got basically – what they call the gravity blanket mm-hmm. claims to use ten percent of your body weight to mimic the effects of being hugged or held, mm-hmm. and it relaxes your nervous system Sounds to hot. help you drift off. Uncomfortably hot. The response to the hundred and sixty nine dollar duvet. It's a duvet uh, that has a Kickstarter ad now out there. It's raised two point seven million dollars. Oh, so it's not a real thing. It's a Kickstarter. It's a Kickstarter, but it's a total real thing. Okay, some of that stuff never actually happens. But then, like your but question, they do collect the money. But what if I overheat? Yes, will it feel like that old dude in the crucible who gets pressed to death, huh. but wetter? No, the sweaty Betty, uh, who's who read Arthur, who's read Arthur Miller, asked, "You won't uh, because of the high density pellets. So these blankets have high density pellets in them, and um, they they actually will, I guess, they're breathable. They don't just keep creating more and more heat on you. They eventually." kind of wick away the heat really yeah 
You know, a so week a blanket. A week and a half is long enough to uh, get pulled in by a cult. And you're trying to tell us to get solar panels and a snuggie. So I'm just saying. Well, I'm just saying when you have a lot of time on the couch and you're thinking, boy, there's got to be a, a better blanket system. I feel mm. or like in the middle of the day when you're like, and you guys, I know you guys have felt this way. Hey, I just need a hug. Mm. Like, boy, I just need a hug today. Mm. But no one's there to hug you. Well, right. now you have a huggy blankie. That with little pellets in it, and it. See, it, I don't know. My, I it don't mind. It creates the, a weight, and it kind of envelops you. The the occasional hug is fine. The warm hug is eh. really. That's only for like snowmen. Other than that, really, there's lines that are being crossed, and a blanket that says it won't make you hot mm-hmm. is going to make me hot. I just know it. Well, that's but maybe it so. Maybe it's not about the blanket anymore. Maybe it's now just about your head. I have a, a chemical imbalance. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> That's totally it. Hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm just telling you, there's a lot of stuff out there that you guys may be missing because you're at work. I saw a lot of great infomercials. So work less? Is that what you're trying to say? I don't know. Just maybe you need to be recording stuff at home. Huh. Apparently, uh, gluten-free meth is a thing, too. We'll be talking about that later in the show. Like now, people well, it's that a are concern. well now that yeah you're if like you have um, an intolerance, so you got to ask your drug and an dealer. Addiction, you know, oh, is this gluten free? <laughs> like, what's happening to the world? I seriously, I'm out. I'm on morphine for a few days. Mm. No big deal. Next thing I know, you got to ask your meth dealer, is it gluten free? You don't know what goes into that stuff. You got to make sure. James Comey's out. Just because they made it in their bathtub doesn't mean it does not have gluten. <laughs> By the way, it had no connection with the gluten free meth. His firing. Oh, it didn't? No. Okay, because I, I just saw the two stories. Well, we don't side. know, but there could be tapes. And then apparently, yeah, there could be tapes, but apparently also Donald Trump is in a lot of trouble. I mean, more trouble, according to the Huffington Post. Wrong. He just shared password-sensitive intelligence with the Russians. It's You're not, wrong. A big, not a big deal. But it's about ISIS. And then yesterday, all those people said he didn't do it, and this morning he came out on Twitter and said, yeah, I did it. Of course I did it. So it's like, do we? Care? I mean, what do we listen to for the last twenty four hours? Alternative facts. That's what she said. <laughs> Literally. What's so great is again, we're only about one hundred and ten days into this. It's great. Okay. Nothing Good but stuff. positive things nothing, going forward. Nothing but positive going forward. Hey, up next, uh, Doctor Lee Phillips will be joining us as we talk about the future of solar power. Get ready, folks. Uh, the latest, the greatest, all the data on solar pa- panels. Should you be investing? What about storage? What about uh, when it's just a rainy day? What about nighttime? How does solar work, you know, when there's no sun? Scary. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Solar energy... Uh, has captivated us since we were children. If you remember back in the day from having a solar-powered toy or a glow-in-the-dark, you know, kind of uh, powered uh, calculator with one of those, you know, wonderful little grids on it that would attract the sunlight and would almost 
75% of the time, as long as you didn't keep it in a drawer, the calculator would work. Well, although it works on a small scale, how does it work on a bigger scale? Will it be environmentally sustainable and economically sustainable to uh, to really move everything to solar? Here to speak with us today is Dr. Lee Phillips. He's a theoretical physicist and writer who lives in McLean, Virginia. Dr. Phillips, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Talk about it, because... We we in my neighborhood, everyone's getting solar panels and, uh, you know, we live I live in Utah in the West. It it seems to be like a really smart option. But but then I have in the back of my head all of these concerns that, you know, is it really here to stay? So give us a little update on the state of solar power. Yeah, I think uh, 10 years ago, wondering whether solar power is really here to stay would be very rational. Um, But in the last few years. Solar energy is uh, really seeing a, a transition, and that's to do with the increasing efficiencies of solar panels and the decrease in cost. Uh, very few people are aware of this, uh, and I discovered it myself in writing these articles for Ars Technica. But now, as of the last just couple of years, for every unit of energy that an energy company invests in extracting or, or building power plants, um, solar power now generates more energy than the equivalent investment in oil or gas. Hmm. Wow. So just from the point of view of pure economics, if you're an oil company trying to make money, you will make more profit if you transition to renewable energy. In fact, and we've heard that. We've had uh, gas companies on the show talking about the fact that they're moving. You know, they're moving away from coal. They're investing in a lot of these technologies. Um but, you know, it's going to take years, 30, 40, 50 years. And I guess just maybe take off uh, take off the, the overriding issue, which which to me and the gas company brought it up. It's a great point that, you know, there's 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 only so much fuel when there's sun. Right. So we can get as much energy as we can from the sun in the day. But at night, they still need something to generate the energy because storage is such a problem. That's exactly right. Uh, Energy storage is the one big remaining problem that's holding back widespread adoption of solar energy. Um, If you're, say, a young scientist and and want to get in on on helping society solve its energy problem, I think probably the most critical thing you can do is to not research solar power because that is a problem that's pretty much solved at this point. It's researching energy storage technologies, batteries, capacitors, things that can even out the supply of energy when, when the sun goes down, and also power distribution technologies to yeah. power moving from where the sun shines to where the sun doesn't shine too much. Because that's a really important point, um, and you bring it up in your article, because simultaneously to the whole solar power uh, push that's on right now, we also see companies like Tesla who are now creating these incredible electric cars and that – can now are our major storage units of energy. So it's almost like we're coming to this convergence. Yeah, as people are buying battery-powered cars, plug-in electric cars, and those are big arrays of batteries. If you plug those into your house at night, the car itself can become your energy storage unit. And if you're attached to the grid, the fleet, the, the population-owned fleet of electric cars can become a kind of grid-leveling supply leveling mechanism hmm. is is it the silver bullet that we all want it to be or is it just kind of 
you know, we've thrown enough money at it. it. I mean, it's an obvious, it makes sense. There's the sun, the greatest source of energy. I mean, why are we not taking advantage of it? Or so, but or is it really just being propped up by by the governments of the world so it's going to succeed anyway? It wouldn't succeed no matter how much it were subsidized if it, if it didn't work. Um, it is subsidized. I only have the numbers for the United States, but the... Um, if you just look at tax incentives, there might be about $15 billion per year in subsidies for renewable energy. I think that's mostly in solar. But uh, fossil fuels are subsidized also and always have been. Um, the Treasury Department estimates it's about $4.7 billion per year just in tax incentives for coal, uh, oil and coal. And there's an additional subsidy that's sometimes not taken into consideration, and that's the social cost of burning coal, and that's estimated to be about $200 billion per year. Oh, man. Um, so this is, this is something that we're all paying for. The government doesn't pay it directly, but we all pay for it in the form of higher health care. Um, and in, in, addition, in addition to that $200 billion social cost, there's the cost of our military. Our entire involvement in the Middle East is uh, at least partly due to the desire for energy security. If we didn't have to import oil, that would all become unnecessary. It's true. In fact, one of the things that was kind of mind-blowing, I love your article. It is, it's incredibly, um, it's, it's so detailed, so well-researched. But one of the things that I, didn't, that I didn't quite understand about the history of solar is the military, so the most advanced military on the earth, they inve- and NASA, they invested in solar a long time ago to fuel all of their satellites. Well, it's an interesting story. I don't know how much of it I can remember. But some of the first uh, solar arrays were put on secret military satellites. And the, I think it was the Air Force, they didn't believe in it. Um, The scientists were pushing it and saying, yes, all you need to do is put on a a solar array, and that's all you need. But it was so new that the military forced them to put on a battery backup in case it didn't work. So they launched this this secret satellite into orbit, the battery quickly failed, and it was just powered by by solar power for however many years it was up there. It's amazing. I mean, really, and especially now that you hear that we're getting to Pluto with some of these orbiters or probes or whatever, and they're still being powered, I'm sure. Well, some of them are nuclear, but but having the backup as well, I'm sure, of of solar. When you think about the solar, um, the technology, where are we there? I mean, I guess... Because for years it was, you know, the, the cells weren't strong enough. They they didn't get a good enough ratio between the actual energy that came in versus the energy that was stored and saved. Where, where are we as far as the efficiency of solar? Yeah, it's, it's um, right now for a run-of-the-mill solar cell, regular one that, that you would get your installer to put on your house, it is running something like 20 to 25 percent efficient. And that is enough to push it, to make it economically um, attractive. For At least if you live in a place with a reasonable amount of sun, you're not surrounded by a lot of tall buildings or trees that you can't that you're, put you in deep shade. And um, if your electricity cost is not so low that it just doesn't make sense to invest in an alternative, yeah. uh, which it is in some, in some states, it varies by a factor of 10 from state to state, the actual cost of buying electricity. If, if all that works out, then... It is uh, almost a no-brainer. If you have a little extra capital, especially if you're, you're financing a new house purchase, putting an extra $20,000 into 
not having to ever buy electricity from the power company makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. Hmm. And in fact, if you're attached to the grid, and almost everybody is, um, you can sometimes make money selling your power back to the power company, and they're required to buy it in, in many states and, and pay you pay you for it. Is so? Let me ask you this idea: Is it? It seems like it's in the best interest of the entire country to to um, to maybe make infrastructure decisions where we we have the entire middle of the country much of the West, uh, much of middle America, with a lot of empty fields, a lot of farmers that can't even afford to farm anymore. It seems like we could be taking in a lot of power from the middle of the country. Why, why are we not in, and would it not be better to invest in it as a country versus just house to house? Absolutely. I, I think it would. Um, most of the action is on the, the community level, um, not nationwide. I, I took a drive through as I mentioned in my article, through uh, rural Virginia recently. And you pass you know, a field of corn, another field of corn, a field of cows, and then a field of solar panels. Huh. And it's an amazing sight. Yeah. There are farmers putting, using their empty fields and farming the sun. And it's not for their own personal use. It's these um, like communities at the level of small towns that, that pool their resources and, and buy solar power and distribute it. The problem with Running the entire country off of uh, solar farms in the middle of the country is, again, storage and distribution. So really, we can do that in the middle of the country, but then is it just not – So, which is amazing to me. So it's 22 percent efficient, I think you were saying, yet – so, boy, what happens when we get it to 60 percent efficient down in the, um, in the future? Does it get yeah, that high? Yeah. No, there are some natural limits. The um, regular conventional solar cell can never go more than about 33% efficient. Hmm. That's because uh, a lot of the, it can only absorb certain wavelengths of light. This is a, a silicon solar cell. The rest of the light just gets reflected off or turned into waste heat. Uh, there are advanced solar cells that are put on uh, NASA spacecraft, and they're about 40% efficient. But oh, wow. incredibly expensive. Yeah. You never have them on your house. Right. Interesting. Um, but 20% is enough. Yeah. It's enough to run the country on solar energy if you had a little bit uh, of technological advance in energy storage, which we're getting. Storage and transfer of the energy, right? Moving the energy around the country? Exactly. Um, now, on a local scale, it makes perfect sense if you live in Utah or... Well, I was surprised when I wrote this article that I talked to about half a dozen people around in different states who had installed solar panels on their houses to see what their experience was. And these are some people were in Colorado, sunny areas, and other, well, some, someone else was in Vermont, where I didn't, I didn't expect them to have a great experience. Um, but every one of them said that it was great. Hmm. <laughs> they were very glad that they'd done it. And even people who were a little ambivalent about the economics, they said it was, it, it was an expense, and it would take a while to pay itself back another 20 years or so, even they were happy they did it because it just made them feel good. There is the feel-good side of this, isn't there? They felt more independent. Yeah. They didn't have to depend on the power company, and they felt that when they turned on their hairdryer, they weren't polluting the air. Mm-hmm. Is, is there... Um, I mean, I guess, and one of the things we'll, we'll probably get in, de- in depth on in a few minutes is the discussion about how government is handling it, because it seems like our local communities and governments can make it a lot easier for us or maybe more complicated. I know in my world, in my state, 
it's kind of complicated because you don't just you don't just get one check between you and your power company. You've got to get a check to pay for the panels. You then have to you you might you might you still have to pay your power bill, but then you'll get a check back in return for what you're. I mean, it's just still complicated. Is I guess are we just at the we're just at the beginning of this? Is that why it's so complicated, or is it that governments are are and and power companies are now fighting for who actually owns this power? No, I think it's anything having to do with government paperwork is complicated, right? They can never make it easy for you. And this, if you are, are looking, and most people are, they're looking to see what kind of tax breaks they can get and anything they can get back from the government for this. It involves a lot of paperwork, and it, the regulations are different in every town and every state. So I wish it were simple, um, yeah. but it's probably not going to be simple. You have to... You have to bite the bullet and, and deal with the government if you want to get some of the money back. Some of the incentives are even in the in the form of uh, property tax. It works this way: if you make an improvement to your house, it's worth more, and so you get taxed more. Right. Living in a state with the property tax, so putting people are hesitant or had been in putting uh, solar cells on the roofs because they thought, well, that will assess my house higher, and I'll pay more tax. So one of the ways that states and counties incentivize solar power is to say we're not going to count that and we're not going to make your tax rate or your, your property tax go up if you make your house more valuable by putting solar cells on it hmm. so that's just one layer of complication that's another form you have to fill out yeah yeah on. so yeah it, i'm not saying it's it's simple um and you have to deal with installers and, and yeah and you have to finance your panels and but then you get a lot of rebates and a lot of incentives for buying the panels. Um, do, do you do you see that there will be a day? Because one of the things, too, is I would love I, – mean, I think I would have done it in a second if I knew that my house could draw in a lot of power, but also that that, that power was in some way – um, accessible to me and mine, not because I could. St- I'm still putting it back into the grid, and the grid could shut down at any time, and I wouldn't necessarily have independent power over my own power. Yeah, you don't unless unless you spend the extra money for enough batteries right, to, to store enough power to run your house for a couple of days. You'll, you'll be attached to the grid, and that means that if there's a blackout in your area, you have a blackout too in your house. Right. You're not allowed to, you'll, in other words, you'll have an automatic switch attached between you and the grid that shuts it off if there's a blackout. And that's because if, when there's a blackout, there'll probably be somebody trying to fix it eventually. And if you're feeding power onto the grid, you'll electrocute that person. Hmm. So for safety, uh, a blackout on the grid means that even though you have your own power, you, you can't use it. Now, answer this as the engineer. Am I using, if I, if I have solar panels, am I using during the day my own energy created at my house? Or am I just really transferring it all back to the grid and then borrowing it back from the grid? Oh, if you're producing enough, if you're producing less than, than what you're consuming, then the difference is made up by the grid. So find your power so you'll pay a little bit, your meter will spin slowly. But, the, but I'm actually using my own energy that came from my house. Plus extra from, from yeah. the grid if you need it. Oh, that's if you're great. producing more, if it's a sunny day and you're not using much, your conditioner is off, and you're producing more than you're consuming, your, your meter should be running backwards, and you'll get that check at the end of the month mm. if that happens enough. 
Yeah. Let's uh, let's take a break, Lee. We're speaking with Dr. Lee Phillips, who's a theoretical physicist and writer who lives in McLean, Virginia. He's worked on projects for the Navy, NASA, the Department of Energy on laser fusion, fluid flow, plasma physics, and scientific computation. Today we're talking about the state of residential solar power and uh, learning what we can. Is it is it a good bet? Is it a safe investment? Interesting insights. Uh, from a physicist. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. Today we're talking about the future of solar power. And according to our guest, Dr. Lee Phillips, uh, you know, folks, it's here to stay. And it's whether whether you, you get it, you love it, whether you're an early adopter, as some are, or just, you know, you're going to go kicking and screaming. Solar power seems to be overcoming a lot of the obstacles that at one time um, were impediments. One thing is the efficiencies up uh, to a, a, a higher level. It also is um, starting to, it seems like, uh, improve with with some of the help from maybe Tesla and Solar City. Um, you know, this, now there's better looking panels going on, more efficient panels, um, less probably damage to the house with the panels. And um, so we we wanted to just pick uh, Dr. Lee Phillips' brain and, and find out what we need to know, how we make the decision going forward. Lee, thank you again for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Is when when you see like these major investments, uh, even Tesla now is into it with Solar City, and they're talking about the fact that if you wanted to roof uh, your your uh, house with their new solar roofing tools or, or products, it, it could cost on average about fifty one thousand dollars for the solar paneling. Plus, if you want a power wall to store the energy, another seven grand. So that could be about $58,000 a house at the high end, plus a lot, much less at the, at the lower end. Do you sense that the, the prices will go down in the future? What do you see as far as Tesla's play and how this will, how this will roll out over the next 20, 30 years? Well, you have to hand it to Elon Musk. Yeah. He has a, a grand vision. And um, he's really apparently trying to own the energy world of the future. Uh, he has... They're developing batteries uh, that are the same, pretty much batteries they put in their electric cars. So one giant battery factory can make batteries for everything. They made a new product, which is um, not simply solar panels that you attach to your roof, which can look kind of ugly, but an actual, an entire roof that um, is a solar panel. Wow. That it only really makes economic sense for a new construction. Uh, to actually replace your roof with this would be it would look great, but you'd have to have a lot of disposable, uh, tens of thousands of dollars to do that. So they're aiming at new construction, new houses to, to put the system in. Um, the, will the prices go down in the future? Well, everything gets cheaper, right? Right. Uh, as research continues and factories get ramped up and, and the economies of scale kick in, things are bound to get cheaper. There's really there's no bottleneck, no impossible to obtain material or anything that would cause this technology to actually become more expensive. They've talked about so, the fact that the, these panels are being made in places like China and the cost of goods. I mean, 
then they have so they're making them in China, shipping them all the way back here to then use them. So historically, that was seen as like not a very efficient model, and but yet the the costs are dropping as well. Yeah, I'm not up on where most of the manufacturing is now. I'm sure a lot of it is still in China. I know that there is some in the United States. Um, so as we live in a global environment where things are manufactured wherever it makes sense to manufacture them, and shipping is cheaper than it used to be. Containerized shipping is pretty efficient. So we'll be buying them wherever we can get them. Uh, it'll be technology that's uh, mostly developed in United States universities. Hmm. That's licensed to factories all around the world, probably. How do you see, I mean, I see how it works in the West. I can see how my neighborhood is doing it. A lot of every other home is is getting solar panels now, it seems like, um, in the West. How does this roll out in places like New York, in Philadelphia? And will they have higher, you know, electricity costs as they have to borrow it and ship it in from the, from other states? I don't think anyone has a really good solution for a big city where there are there are almost no single-family homes and everything's an apartment building, right? There's not enough roof area on a big apartment building right. to put enough panels to supply everyone in there. So you you have to be supplied from some solar farm outside the city. Um, again, it's the same problem of energy storage and distribution that's still not completely solved, and um, it's a great opportunity for scientists to get into right now. Do you sense that the states will will the federal government kind of uh, look at it as an infrastructure goal? Will it be just still more on the community level? How do you think would be the best way for it to play out, to roll out the farms? We're talking about basic research, uh, a lot of which is still needed, especially for energy storage. That is almost entirely paid for by the federal government, and no one can predict the future funding priorities of the federal government. All you can do is get a grant for this year and hope that it's renewed for next year. But there are laboratories all over the country that are doing fundamental research in new solar energy technologies, things that you can paint on your house that generate electricity, uh, flexible and transparent solar cells. There's one you can put on the the windshield of your car that will melt the ice overnight as it generates electricity, Hmm. things like that. But uh, this all depends on the federal government seeing the big picture and realizing that we We'll all benefit as a society, and we'll all profit from getting away from fossil fuels and uh, funding an alternative. I don't think industry can do it by itself. It never has been able to do these kinds of massive research projects by itself. Uh, the days of Bell Labs are long gone. Mm. It takes vision at the federal level to fund research that helps uh, our civilization move forward. Do you, do you sense that we could be... Is there a risk we're putting ourselves at for the fact that, you know, um, to to invest so much in a solar-powered grid, you know, if something happened, uh, I don't know, even just clouds or too much smog or whatever, something that made it so the solar wasn't as powerful, are we – it just seems like it would be nice to be able to flip a switch and start running fuel again. Um. Yeah, energy diversity is probably wise. I think that in some parts of the world, very higher or low latitudes, places with uh, constant thick cloud cover, like the Pacific Northwest, um, it might be a better idea to have uh, wind power 
or geothermal or hydropower in those places. Um, solar is not the best choice for, for every location. But if we have some state of affairs where we're not getting any more sunlight, then I think we'll have bigger problems than our solar powers. Our solar right. Well, what about what about terrorism against these grids? They seem like they might be more fragile. Uh, you know, kind of to, to some type of Im- electrical impulse or overwhelming the system uh, with a, an impulse or some. I mean, I guess we've already talked on the show too about the fact that the power grid is really one of our big vulnerabilities anyway. But is is solar any more vulnerable than the the, the current measures we use to create power? Well, here I'm just speculating, but I would guess that it's actually more secure because it would be it would depend on a larger number of smaller um, energy producing stations. Uh, right now, if you have um, our, our only real alternative to solar and other renewables is uh, nuclear power, which is a viable alternative, mm-hmm. especially you know as a transitional technology. For solar power, really really can do everything for us. And um, talk about a target for terrorism. Right. Nuclear power plant is a pretty good target. Um, I think most of the risk to the power grid is through computer intrusion. Of course, it's controlled by, by computers, and uh, if you can uh, crack into there, then you can shut down parts of the grid. Um, but I think that that is probably just no more or less vulnerable, uh, regardless of where the the source of energy comes from, right? The, the, the controllers that, that control the distribution of power, um, it's just electricity. Once it gets on the wire, it doesn't matter where the electricity is made. It's still electricity going over wires. Right. So the grid itself will be no more or less vulnerable. The um, power, just power production network will be probably more secure because it will be more widespread, fewer high-value targets. Yeah. Is it, uh, when you look at it, uh, how how do you know? So if I'm just the average homeowner, how do I go about making this decision to know if it if it's a good deal for me? Um, you can call the installers in your area. Of course, they're trying to run their business, so they're going to try to tell you it's a good idea. But, you know, you can compare. <clears throat> they, can, they can run the numbers for you. They know how, to, how you'll get your subsidies and, and how it will work out, how it's worked out for for your neighbors, that kind of thing. Also, you can go to, what is it called? Google has a, a website. I, it's linked yeah. on my article. I can't remember. Yeah, I'll find it in the article. Exactly where it's on something. Um, you can put in your address into that website, and it will give you a rough estimate of uh, how the economics work out for your particular house. You know, they have all the houses on Google Maps, so they know how, how big your roof is and what direction it faces in and that kind of thing. And if you don't take it, you know, if you don't take it too seriously and believe it to the, to the very last dollar, it'll give you a general idea of how things will work out. Project Sunroof, I believe, is the name yeah, that's it. of it. Um, is, so, and then um, I guess the key, too, is you don't have to be a physicist to, to want to do this. I mean, I know a lot of the early adopters in my neighborhood – were really smart. I mean, they already they knew exactly what they wanted to do. They were retired engineers, and they wanted it. Um, it made sense for them. But I guess in the end, you're going to have people more and more coming to your door, and 
to the states and the cities that this works effectively in and efficiently, you're going to be you're going to have sales pitches. It's going to start happening. I guess I haven't gotten one myself yet. Oh. I'm be surprised. It's you big know, in the West, yeah. As recently as ten years ago, people with solar panels were like hippies or right. people who they they just wanted so badly to be off the grid that they were willing to make a sacrifice. But that's completely different now. Um, you know, people nothing works unless it works for your wallet, right? There's, nothing's going to be adopted unless people can can afford it. It makes economic sense for them. It doesn't matter what they read in a newspaper about global warming. You have to pay your your bills every month, right? So if people are if you see solar panels going up all over the area, it's because it works. It works economically. And, I mean, I guess that's the powerful thing because it works um, and it gives back is the great thing. I mean, I think that's where this is so valuable. Well, Lee, we appreciate your insight, your wonderful article on ArsTechnica.com about the future of solar power. It's it, it's always been an option it's, and now it's becoming a more and more of a viable option, which, I again, I think if it can lower our costs and save our planet, let's do it. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Welcome back. You know, so we had people knocking door-to-door last year. And just offering the great, wonderful, incredible opportunities of solar power. And I immediately just had a gut reaction. No, I'm not doing that. No way. I mean, I've had a watch, a solar-powered watch that never worked because of that. So I'm not doing that. So maybe one of the things we, we need to look at is what if the technology says it's good? Uh, what if the financial savings works for you? Um what if it all lines up? Would you then do it? Or do you still have this aversion to change? Because one of the things maybe each of us needs to look at, and it makes sense, some of us just don't like change. We don't like it, right? We just don't like to see certain people put into office or taken out of office. We don't like to see certain car technologies advancing. We don't. We just don't like the change. But if you have an aversion to change, be careful because it doesn't mean that there's not opportunities and it doesn't mean that there's not um, advancements going on. I have so many people that uh, of certain generations that w- are single that will tell me that they would never date online because that's just – ooh, that's just gross. Who would date online? And then I look at the younger generations that are doing a lot of dating online and I think, hmm – What is the difference except just our experience, our expectation? So remember, whether it's solar panels or not, change is going to happen. And it doesn't mean you have to be the early adopter that jumps, you know, two feet in early. But, you know, you might want to start to look at what keeps you from making the changes you need to make in your life. And if it's just a gut feeling from something that you're uninformed about, maybe go get more informed. Then see what the gut's telling you. A little basic change information. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show, here three hours a day to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the program where I give you the latest and greatest research to uh, live healthier, happier lives. Not all of us were given the perfect handbook when we were born or raised. And so uh, we'll bring you how to live longer, how to love stronger, how to lead healthier lives. Top of the morning to you from the man with a rejuvenated pancreas. My pancreas is on the mend. Thank you. Thank you. Apparently can't have my gallbladder surgery until the pancreas is all happy. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, come on. I know. That's what I told my doctor. Come on. But uh, I'm back. I'm healthy. It just as long as what it is, is, if I don't eat any food, I'm great. And if I don't eat any f- good food with any fat. Huh. So what are you eating? Just a lot of drinks, a lot of liquids, a lot of smoothies. Should I have given you my orange juice that yeah, I just chugged I in front of you? That, I'm just sorry. Salivating. That looks so good. I've been um, I've been getting very creative in my in my smoothie making. I really like spinach in my smoothie. I'm sorry. Makes it very green. Yeah. Like that. Tried a little cranberry raspberry smoothie thing last night. It's really good. Yeah. And my wife always tries to sl- slip in like spinach or mm. she goes, oh, there's kale in there. I'm like, yeah, oh, I'll pass. I haven't done kale yet. I didn't want to go that far out on the limb. Yeah. Because kale's on the edge of the limb. Yeah. It's way it's, out there. It's barely food. It's more of a decoration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I – but I'm also to this point where I want something substantial. And I can have low fat substantial. It's just I don't – I'm not – in my brain, I don't know where fat ends – and low fat begins. <laughs> There's a fine line, and I don't know where it is yet. Hmm. I can't cross over it, or I go down on my knees in pain. Really? Yeah. Is it a good pain? No, it's oh. a bad pain. It's like worse than a kidney stone. Now, pain. So, what if the meal is really good, like a steak oh, or something? No. You really enjoy the meal. Oh, I, see, I haven't had one of those. Lately. Knowing that the pain is coming, would you take the risk? No, not now. Really? Because oh. I get nauseous like thinking about it. Okay. Well, but. Then there's that moment where your gallstone moves, I guess, mm. and the and the gallbladder does its job, and then it's just like, ah. I think we can all relate. Yeah, it's it's funny. You just need to lose a little bit of your health to enjoy your health. Hmm. I really love my health now. Or what you have of it. Yeah, the little bit that I have. Of it. <laughs> I am um, tired of drinking through straws. It's kind of weird. Do you have to? Is that a no? no you don't have to drink no, through a straw. But it okay. just it just that's the sign that you're sickly. Oh, where's my straw? Where's my straw? Yeah, but right. and everything's liquid too. You know, I'm trying to. Oh, I wanted it. My my wife made bacon. She's killing me. Did I tell you about the Kentucky Fried Chicken she made? Yeah. She, so she bought Kentucky Fried Chicken, and then yesterday all my kids were eating bacon. What are they doing? I have no idea. It's the well, weirdest. Why aren't they eating like rice? I I'm, they eat that too. Did they have like the fried rice? Did they have the KFC double down, which is fried chicken with bacon in the middle? Ooh, that would just be rude. Uh, that sounds heavenly, but literally, I would die if I ate a, if I ate the skin off of a chicken. I would die. 
Well, technically, I think most people should, but we're you know more resolute than that. So, what, so, what about your family on a liquid diet? Could they all? I've tried. I've tried. Nobody's into it. it. Like I make really cool looking smoothies, and they're all like, yeah. mm. they grab some bacon and walk yeah. out of the room, and then they're drinking mm. my drinks. Like I, I would never normally have just loved V8. I love V8 actually, but it's high in sodium and tomatoes. Yeah, it's very high in tomatoes. <laughs> but I I made a meal the other day you would not believe with um, – oh, it was so good. It's still good. This is like my favorite meal. Um, spaghetti squash. Okay. Because there's like no fat there. Sure. A little, little uh, olive oil maybe. For, and, for taste. Uh-huh. Again, then, no and you taste. won't believe it. Then you pour, you pour a V8 on it. Okay. And it tastes like spaghetti. Mm. <laughs> it is so satisfying. It is so satisfying. Sounds hey, soupy. Palakiko it is a little soupy. Is giving us the no sign on that. Cooking with Kiko, Palakiko? Yeah. Yes. Future segment of, of the show. Of cooking with Kiko fame, yes. Yeah, well, let's let me step on his pancreas <laughs> and then we'll see how he likes it. Wow. So I I will be making I'll be giving you my latest recipes as well. Nice. Just mm-hmm. share that knowledge. Smooth Arama. We can all go, wow, we eat real food and move on. It'll be great. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, In a bit, we're going to be talking about goal setting. What separates the goals that we achieve from those we don't? Jeff made a really good point. Uh, The easy ones we achieve, the hard ones we don't achieve. When was this? In my dream. Oh, I see. Last night. You made that really good point. Well, good job. Uh, Today, we'll also be talking about uh, how to make sure that your meth amphetamine is not laced with deadly gluten. Nothing kills you faster than gluten. Right. That's why, I, or like if you're lactose intolerant, you don't want lactose. It's not the in household cleaning products that the meth was made out of. Yeah. It's the gluten that you it's need to be worried gluten. about. So. The deadly gluten. We'll talk about that. Plus, a grandfather's ashes are among the items stolen from a Springfield home. What do you do with that? Maybe they were in a neat, cool looking container of some kind. Yeah. But then you open it and you're like, ah, oh, boy. Like, wow, there are ashes in here. What did I take? I'm telling you. We'll yeah. get to all that fun. Uh, plus, of course, the discussion on goal setting straight ahead. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on? A 16-year-old South Carolina high schooler died from heart problems caused by consuming too much caffeine. Davis Kripe collapsed and died in a classroom at Spring Hill High School Monday after his heart fell out of rhythm, the Associated Press reports. Oh. In the two hours before his death, he drank a latte, a large Mountain Dew, and an energy drink. While teenagers, te- uh, teenagers can drink a cup of coffee or a glass of soda, caffeine can be deadly in large amounts. Uh, uh, Kripe's father said his son never drank alcohol or did, did illegal drugs, and he wants his death to serve as a warning for other teens who might consume large amounts That's of caffeine. Nice. That's a nice thing to do because kids are down in this stuff like crazy. Yeah, I watch people walk out of—you uh, go buy gas, and yeah. people just walking out with energy drinks left and right. Well, it's weird because I used to— consume a lot of caffeine and i don't and look what's happening to me my life's falling apart i'm finding out caffeine used to keep me together it was your stimulant it kept you going that's right lowe's of uh, the uh, home improvement store 
Their uniforms just got a serious upgrade in Christiansburg, Virginia, where shoppers may spot a new robotic exosuit in action. Oh, boy. Four employees there are testing out exoskeleton prototypes that aid workers in heavy lifting. The technology looks much like a harness with carbon fiber rods that run along the wearer's back and thighs. As the worker bends to lift objects, the shafts collect potential energy, which springs back and releases upon standing. The idea stemmed from Lowe's Innovation Labs, which partnered with sci-fi writers to create futuristic narratives for, t- for potential technology. In this example, the imagined technology grants employees superhuman powers to maximize performance, Lowe said. From there, the suit was designed to, uh, in uh, collaboration with Virginia Tech engineering professor uh, Dr. Alan Asbeck about a month into a three-month pilot program Testing has been positive. The employees wear the suits all day. For Lowe's workers, some who spend 90% of their day moving and lifting heavy merchandise, like cement bags, the exosuit can be, be a game changer for them. For sure. But the company is also hoping that if expanded beyond the Virginia store, the exosuit program will serve as a recruiting tool. Who wouldn't want to work in a place where you get to wear an exosuit? Well, I wouldn't, but I call me old-fashioned. You're old-fashioned. Okay. But it, it could also help with possibly with safety. Yeah, no, it's just a cool idea. But you yeah. know that one guy's going to sneak one out. Oh, yeah. And then he'll go out and life a crime. I am a robot right. from Lowe's. He'll start lifting cars and stuff. And who's going to stop him? Right. He's got an exosuit. I think we're so making true. super criminals here. Uh, a New Hampshire man who was injured in a house explosion is thanking Siri for saving his life. Christopher... Uh, Butcher said that he was checking on his mother's vacant home on May 1st when he saw something suspicious and went inside. He says he switched on the light and the house exploded into flames. Part of it collapsed while I was in it during the initial explosion, so I couldn't really tell where I was. Butcher's face and hands were badly burned in the explosion. He managed to exit the home and get to his car, but he says his injuries left him unable to dial the phone. He says he somehow asked his phone's voice-controlled virtual assistant, Siri, to call 911, believing he was going into shock. He is still undergoing treatment for his injuries, but says that he hopes to return to his job as a cook and tend to his farm and credits his survival because of Siri. How cool. Thank you, Siri. See, the rest of us, we ask Siri to do things. I've never been more mad than at Siri. She never actually does what you ask. She always, what what was that? I didn't quite hear you or something ridiculous like that. She actually did what she was supposed to do this time. Good job, Siri. And finally, it may seem like a harmless souvenir, trucking a lava rock from the Big Island into your pocket. But many tourists believe that the Hawaiian memento comes with weighty baggage, a curse, warning that the uh, volcano goddess will have her revenge on you if you steal the, the lava rock. The Wall Street Journal reports that hundreds of visitors mail back their pilfered keepsakes each year. After really? learning of the legend, some even hand deliver their mineral chunks back to the slopes of the volcano. The deluge of returned rocks is driving National Park Service <laughs> workers insane. Uh, there is no curse on the rocks, one rep wrote to colleagues. Another rep called the widespread myth deeply offensive to native inhabitants. The legend origins are unclear, but scholars tell the Wall Street Journal it has nothing to do with the local religion and more to do with park rangers likely fabricating the story decades ago no. in a bid to halt the thefts of lava rocks. No, no, no. It was Cindy and Bobby Brady. Right. Well, they, they took the tiki. They took the tiki doll. Yeah. And then everything started to go wrong. And I think Greg had a surfing accident. There was a spider, if you remember. Spider. The tarantula showed uh-huh. up. Yeah. You know, Palakiko just went home to Hawaii recently. And ever since he got back, weird stuff has been happening. Well, but I think that's just because Palakiko's here. He came back. It was fine when he left. 
It's the curse of Palakika. There, there is a uh, a level of like a federal crime for stealing rocks from these protected Palakika has been stealing rocks from Hawaii for years. Right. Well, Hasn't he been stealing books too? <laughs> he steals books and rocks and free food. Yeah. Too bad y'all can't hear from Palakiko because he's just sitting in another room. He's sweating trying bullets. To communicate, but we just keep his microphone down. He's guilty as all get out. Um, he's a good guy. We're gonna miss him when he's in that the uh, that program he's going to with right. the feds. The feds for mm-hmm. stealing rocks. Yeah, uh, really. But let's do research. I'm pretty sure the rock that began with Vincent Price. What was his name? Vincent Price. Wasn't he the old man in the cave? Uh, on on the Brady Bunch? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it was Vincent Price. The oh, scary wow. old Vincent Price. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> I don't remember sounding no, like that. No, no, no. Uh, okay, so here's a crazy question for you. Um, methamphetamine, bad, right? Bad. Bad. Yeah. Is there anything that would make it worse? Fruity flavors. How about Gluten. Possibly. Fruity flavors. <laughs> yeah. How about kale? Um, never say the Niceville, Florida Police Department is not on top of its public service game. In a Facebook post, the department has offered to examine citizens' methamphetamine stashes to check for the presence of deadly gluten. This is brilliant. Yeah. Just bring your meth down to the PD and we will test it for you for free. The department exhorts meth users take note. Free is good. Niceville Police Chief uh, David Popwell said the department's webpage manager got the idea from the post from a for the post from a police department in California. While there haven't been any takers so far, Popwell said there is a benefit to getting the community to talk about these kinds of serious issues. You know how much info you're going to get. You never know how much you're going to get from the comments. He said the post has now re- post has now reached three hundred thousand Facebook users. That's cool. It's been shared 3,000 times. No, he says that it's going to provoke important conversations yeah. about meth or gluten. Well, but you know, probably both, both? quite honestly. Okay. And what's amazing is you know that there's some meth head that's sitting there saying, no, seriously, Stacy, they'll do it for free. I'm intolerant. <laughs> I can't have gluten. <laughs> they will just check it out. But you're the one that's got the gluten allergy. I do not want to have meth in the home you know they put you've all, got a gluten allergy. They put all kinds of stuff in this. That's funny. <laughs> It's really funny. And congratulations to them because they're they're not only making life funny, but they're also helping us along the way. A grandfather's ashes are among the stolen items from a Springfield home, police say. Police say a man broke into a Springfield, Missouri home last month, stole several items, including a box containing the ashes of the victim's grandfather. Carl A. Jackson, 32, was charged last week with first-degree burglary. After police say he stole from a Springville family and then sold their belongings, according to the probable cause statement, Jackson and another man were riding their bicycles uh, on that morning of April 25th when they came upon the house with no cars in the driveway. The statement says the men then broke into the house, rummaged around, gathering up items like a gun, electronics, clothing, jewelry, and, sadly, the ashes of the victim's deceased grandfather. When one of the residents got home about noon, the statement says the suspects ran out of the house and fled the scene on their bicycles. Like, what is this? You don't even have a car? Oh, well. Efficient. Police contacted Jackson later that day, and uh, he had a backpack full of stolen items from the burglary. As of last week, police had not recovered the stolen ashes. So everything was recovered except the ashes. Except the ashes. Hmm. (sighs) Ah. Ashes, ashes. 
we all fall down. That's it. Off your bicycle. Crazy stuff, folks. Consider yourself lucky. And you know what? Hold your grandparents' ashes tighter. You never know. Somebody might be out for them. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about goal setting and some of the latest research uh, from Harvard Business Review about why we achieve certain goals and what makes it so we don't achieve other goals. Interesting insight. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. You know, the importance of delaying gratification is universally recognized. Being able to forego immediate benefits in order to achieve larger goals in the future, it's viewed as a key skill for uh, for each of us. And, for example, consider the classic what they call the marshmallow test, that experiment that was done where children's ability to delay eating one marshmallow so that they could get two marshmallows has over time in a longitudinal study been linked to a number of positive life outcomes, including academic success, healthier relationships. So we've asked uh, Caitlin Woolley to join us. She's a Ph.D. candidate at the University of Chicago School of uh, Business and is uh, online with us today to discuss what separates goals that we achieve from those that we don't. Caitlin, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Matt. It's great this, to be here. This is such, a, I think, an important topic for each of us. What, when you when you think of it, um, just overall, what what makes the difference? Is, I mean, because I know that I could achieve every goal that I want to achieve. That I, but I also could be, you know, faking it. Like I could only be setting goals that are easy for me. What what do, what do you find is the key to uh, what actually makes us achieve a goal versus not achieve a goal? Yes, yeah, so what we find is it's actually the immediate benefits that you're getting when you're working towards that goal. So if you're trying to go to the gym or you're trying to eat healthy or even um, students studying for an exam, we've looked at that. Um, what really predicts their ability to stick with that, that activity is how much enjoyment, how much immediate benefits they're getting in the moment from working towards that goal. That seems to, to matter a lot. So really it's more about if you – derive, I guess, intrinsic, extrinsic benefit out of the actual act itself? Yeah, yeah. So the, um, you know, whether the activity itself is providing you that enjoyment or if you can find a way to make it more enjoyable, uh, those we have found have been linked to people's ability to actually stick with the, the activity. And the thing is, people don't seem to realize that. They don't realize the importance of the immediate benefits when they're working towards their goal. How interesting. And maybe knowing this ahead of time would help us, right? Because then we we might choose our goals more carefully or might set it up in a way that it is more enjoyable. Yeah, I think so. So I think if you could, you know, the delayed benefit of the reason like you're going to go to the gym in the first place to lose weight or to get in shape, that's important. But then once you're actually at the gym, if you could think about how it's fun for you or how you can get some sort of pleasure out of it. Maybe you're listening to music while you're working out. Um, That is a way to sort of derive this immediate positive experience that's going to matter for persistence. That's so funny. Is it, um, I guess this is just human nature, right? If we, like, I I, honestly, I can exercise if I can watch Netflix. It's easy for Mm me. It's just, but really what I know is really happening is it's all about the Netflix. (laughs) It's pretty pathetic. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, you can use that to sort of harness that that experience to help you, right? So if you find that that's one of the things that you really like while you're working out, then you should allow yourself to have that. I think um, sometimes people, they set up goals and they say, you know, I'm going to eat really healthy. I'm only going to eat salads from here on out. And that's kind of a mistake because if you're not factoring in the pleasure, it's going to be really hard to stick with that uh, that goal. Is Does the pleasure need to be... Is it a physiological pleasure? Is it, you know, um, deriving benefit of, you know, what you're tasting versus um, the, could it be an intrinsic pleasure? Does it matter if it's extrinsic or intrinsic? Yeah, so that's, this paper is, is um, especially sort of looking at that divide, whether the benefits coming actually from the activity, like you're just, you know, you're, you really like running or you're getting those endorphins. Or if it's coming from outside the activity, like sort of the Netflix example, that's not anything about running, but it's still changing the experience of running. And so uh, I think in this paper, we show that either way, it really um, it doesn't matter if it's coming from the activity itself or external to the activity. If you can find, you know, pleasure in the activity that's intrinsic, that'll help. But if you could also add in something like the Netflix or the, you know, listening to music, that's also going to work. Hmm. Uh, but the important thing here, I think, is you're doing it for the long-term goal. So I'm not saying like eat, you know, just eat food that tastes good. It's like if you're trying to lose weight, you need to eat food that's good for you, but also that you enjoy, Now if that makes sense. Yeah, but, but so help me with this because some people would say, but the joy really, Caitlin, is looking in the mirror uh, an hour or whatever, uh, two days later and seeing that you're losing weight, but you're mm-hmm. saying that kind of long-term goal isn't really – as likely to keep you in the game as actually enjoying the activity somehow. Yeah, yeah, and that's a good point. So the, you know, looking at yourself, looking at the progress that you're making, um, seeing that change in the mirror, that I think is part of sort of the delayed benefit. So you get that as an outcome of your workout, right? If you put in the time at the gym, then you get that. And that's, I'm not trying to say that's not important because, of course, that's the whole reason that you're you're going to the gym in the first place. Right. Uh, but but it's hard to to use that when you're actually there on the treadmill. It's it's hard to find motivation in in that because it's not really accessible to you. Yeah. You know, it's it's something that you'll get later. It really it sounds like what you're talking about is motivation, right? So motivation um to keep doing the activity really means you have to derive some benefit in the activity and if you, you have to make the connection to the real time activity. Because if yeah, you're not connected, definitely. then you're not going to stay motivated to it. Mm-hmm. So I guess really then, if if my long-term goal is to lose 30 pounds, um, all I need to do if I really want to be effective at this is find a means to the 30-pound weight loss that is beneficial and der- I derive benefit doing. Yep. Yep. That's exactly it. Um, so, you know, you could – you work out with Netflix, you can work out with a friend, any way to make that that working towards that goal more motivating, more enjoyable for you would help you to achieve that. Hmm. And I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, if if I'm more motivated by Netflix than talking to another human, um, if that <laughs> if that were the case, then that in and of itself being caught up in a, a series and I'm only going to allow myself to watch this series while I'm exercising that that could be immensely motivating. Now, so then, um, when I when I think of this, th- this makes total sense, right? It's, it makes total sense. So why do people not just do this naturally? What mistake are we making? 
Yeah, so I think the the mistake that people make is that when they're planning their goal pursuit, when they're planning their next workout, they don't think about the immediate benefit. They don't realize it's going to be important for their persistence. They're focused on the delayed benefit, right? They're thinking about the reason I go to the gym, maybe it's to lose weight, maybe it's to get in shape. And they're not thinking, oh, you know, I really need to make my workout enjoyable. Otherwise, it won't be something that I stick with. Um, So it's sort of that that gap, the reason why you're pursuing the activity is not the same as the reason that you stick with it in the moment. Hmm. Isn't it? It's funny, too, because we this would be really important stuff for every, you know, ther- what do they call them, like exercise coach, um, trainer to, to, to help them because you might be mismotivating people. You might be motivating people more on a delayed benefit than on the immediate benefit. But the immediate benefit is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they maybe are focusing them on that weight loss goal and, and not on the, yeah, the actual like, experience yeah. that they're having. Just mm-hmm. imagine when you walk into your high school reunion and you're in that yeah. red dress you wore in high school. I mean, like, okay, yeah, that'll be great someday, but right. I need a marshmallow today. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Exactly. What yeah. what made you want to study this, Caitlin, of all the things you could be studying at the University of Chicago? So I'm really interested in uh, consumer goal pursuit and motivation. And uh, I thought that it seemed in the literature people were kind of neglecting this this immediate experience, right? Like sort of the marshmallow study that like you were mentioned in the, in the beginning. People are saying, no, like immediate experiences are actually going to tempt us away from our goals, right? But I thought maybe there's a way to actually harness this and harness the, the fun to actually help work towards the goal. So it's not that I'm, you know, going to go watch Netflix and not work out, but you can actually you can pair those together. Potentially you can um, harness these immediate rewards to, to help motivate people. Well, and it seems like, boy, I never thought of it this way, but you're also talking at the, at the Booth School of Business, you're talking consumer activity as well. So, boy, if I wanted to motivate more shopping – then it would behoove me as a company to find ways to make sure you're enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the same thing with um, you know things like I think it's really important for retaining customers, like repeat purchases, mm. that the, the experience is maybe what's going to help people to stay with your company or stay with your service. Uh, they might be signing up for you know delayed benefits, like maybe getting a promotion. That's what, they, that's what attracts them, but what's going to keep them actually is that experience that they're having at huh. the moment. And maybe, I guess, is that how we should hire? That makes a lot of sense, too, that if I'm hiring, um, I want to maybe make sure that, they, that they're going to fit into the immediate benefit packaging of our current system, not just the delayed yeah. thing. They're going to want the goals. They may want the long-term goals, the 401ks, but in the end, which are kind of delayed benefits of a, of a job, but there's immediate benefits that they've got to really bite off on. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we've looked at this also with, you know, with people who uh, are thinking about their current job versus a future job, what they value and what, what's important to them. Um, we find similar results there. So in the moment, people really value the connection that they have with others and their, you know, whether you get along with your colleagues, that's what's important. Uh, but when you're thinking about your next job, you're not really thinking about that. You're thinking about, like you said, like the pay package. It's so true. And uh, I just bought a car as well. And when I bought the car, 
it's funny. I was I, all of my goals were about like the delayed goals. Am I going to? Is it going to be a good investment? Is it a smart buy? Will I retain its value? Will it retain its value? But what I'm now frustrated with about the car is some of the lack of immediate benefits. Some of the things mm-hmm. that I sh- want right now in the car that have nothing to do with. Well, yeah, it's going to have a great resale value. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, great, because I want I, my seats aren't even heated. So how am I going to heat my seat when I'm cold? <laughs> oh, we're pitiful, Caitlin, pitiful. Hey, um, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back. And then why don't you walk us through some just some some good things we should be asking, thinking about when it comes to setting these reasonable kind of uh, these immediate type of goals. We're, again, we're speaking with Ph.D. candidate Caitlin Woolley, who is a candidate at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. And she'll be uh, joining the marketing faculty at Cornell University this summer as an assistant professor. Great lessons about life and goal setting. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Today we're talking about goal setting and what separates goals uh, that we achieve from those that we don't achieve. Well, apparently one of the keys to uh, the goals that we achieve are we actually derive immediate benefit in the moment um, by when we're doing the goal. We actually see the benefit and how it impacts us and we like it. So when we like doing it and we see the benefit, it helps us uh, you know, stick to the task Till it sticks to you. So join us to talk about this and her research is Caitlin Woolley. Caitlin is a PhD candidate at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and will soon be on the marketing faculty at Cornell University as an assistant professor there. And uh, she wrote an article for Harvard Business Review that we are going over. Goal setting, what separates goals we achieve from the goals we don't. Caitlin, thank you again for being with us. Thank you, Matt. So um, when we talk about it, I guess one key is we've got to have some immediate benefit. Uh, that keeps us sticking to the goal uh, over the long term. Did you find anything else that was key to setting these goals? Yes, we find a, I found a couple of things. Um, one thing that we see is that the, the delayed benefit does have some importance. So I'm not trying to say, I guess, here that the, the immediate benefit is the only thing that matters. For one, the, the delayed benefits what's get what's getting people to initiate their goal in the first place. So you have to value that long-term outcome, uh, getting a good grade or uh, doing well on your exam. Um, and and what also we, we found that I was kind of surprised by was that because uh, initially in the phase it was only the immediate benefit that seemed to be predicting persistence. Mm-hmm. But if you look across all five of the studies that we have, the delayed benefit does matter somewhat uh, to, to help with the goal achievement. So it's not the case that the, the immediate benefit is the only thing that matters, but yeah. it's also um, having that delayed goal that you're, that you're able to get that's going to predict your persistence. I guess the delayed benefit is, um, the, is what actually initiates the goal making because you're like, I want to lose weight, so now I need to exercise, and I'll find immediate benefit in exercising somehow. But you, so you, so to some degree, you've got to you – you got to want the delayed benefit. What do you did you have you found anything about people that just don't? I mean, are there some people that just don't set goals? They just eh, mm-hmm. I just don't want to go there. 
Yeah, so that's yeah, that's a good point. So in our research, we've looked at mostly people who do value the long-term goal because that's sort of you have to have that buy-in, like you said, to sort of start to start working towards it. Uh, but I think, I mean, even if you don't have a goal of eating healthy, if you are if you you know find some vegetables are tastier than others, and you're going to eat more of the ones that that taste good. So I think, uh, like we have a vegetable study in in our paper. I think um, it's the immediate benefit could still sort of help with these these positive behaviors, but it might not be totally there if you don't have that buy-in with the delayed benefit. Hmm. Is what about just the reasonableness of the goal? Can a goal be too audacious, too out there that it's it actually becomes, you know, disincentivized. You, you're you unmotivated to do it. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think that's kind of the problem that um, that happens oftentimes, right? So you're setting a goal and you might be too strict with it initially, right? So you want to run every day for like the next month and then that's just not really attainable for you. Um, and then you're going to, to drop out. So you have to be able to find something that's... Uh, that's, I guess, within your reach. And I think that's part of why the immediate benefits where that comes in, because uh, if you if you set that goal that you're going to try and run every day, it might not be something that you can actually fit into your schedule or that you even really want to make time for. Um, so if you're able to, to work towards something that you're enjoying, then you'll make that time for it and you'll, you'll find a way to, um, to push through with it. Hmm. Is, um, I, I mean, I, I guess, how much, how important of a part does the environment play in, I guess, your one thing you're saying is the environment needs, you need to derive benefit from the activity or the, or the environment, the situation you're in. But it seems like everybody's so different. Like, I, I personally don't want to exercise with people. And I don't know what it is. I think it's like I, I'd rather go into my happy place to, um, to try to force my body to do things than have to try to create a conversation while I'm forcing my body to do things. No, definitely. And I think that's, you know, this is where it kind of it gets customizable to the person, right? So sometimes people ask me, like, what's the key to, to achieving your goal? Uh, but it's going to depend on what works for you, right? So if you are the type of person that you just want to really relax during your workout, then maybe you'll do yoga and you'll find relaxation there. If you really want some sort of high impact or high involved activity with other people, you could join a sports team. And so it's not, uh, I guess every trick isn't going to work for everyone, but the, the overall takeaway is to find what works for you and what's going to bring you that, that pleasure in the moment, that experience that uh, is rewarding um, to help you stick with your goal. Because you really have to choose the right activity you have to kind of choose the right conditions for you. You have to, I guess, decide the social setting you want it to, to, to possess. I mean, there's really a lot of factors to what makes it immediately beneficial for you. And, I mean, I've seen – have you ever seen a situation where, you know, one person came to play golf with you and all of a sudden it didn't seem as immediately beneficial? <laughs> <laughs> so it could just be one factor is off and it immediately can ruin your goal setting. Yeah, well, I see that here in Chicago, too, because the winter, it's really hard yeah. to do anything outside. And so it's much easier to get out when it's a nice day out. <laughs> yeah. So one factor is off. I mean, isn't it funny? You can exercise really well in the summer, and it's, like, amazing because that one condition is there. But in midwinter, you're just – I guess it's just time to pack on the pounds. Um, mm -hmm. What do you – so when, as you've gone through this, where do you see that you're going to take the research going forward? 
Yeah, so let's, um, there's a couple of projects I'm working on now. Uh, one, we're actually looking at immediate negative goals. Um, so, so whether, uh, or not immediate negative goals, but immediate negative experiences and whether there's any, uh, any motivating power in that. Um, we're also looking at how we can use rewards to uh, increase enjoyment. So does it, is it the case that you, you know, you're working towards your goal and you're getting some immediate benefit? Does that actually change how you perceive that activity then if that activity is giving you a, like a, a delayed benefit later on? Interesting, uh, so yeah. Kind of some on, yeah, ongoing projects that, um, that I've been working on. So, so that's an interesting point too then um, is delayed. So we're talking about delayed goals, but so delayed feedback versus immediate feedback um, mm-hmm. is, 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 could be possibly a motivator as well. Mm-hmm. If the feedback comes too late – in the cycle, you may it may not keep you uh, engaged as if it's – that's why you know at the end of something fun that you've done, you know it was fun and you're thinking, I didn't want that to end. Let's do that again. Yeah, so I think it's very much related to, to this work here. Um, and we also had some work where we were actually trying to to look at in, like ways that people could make the activity more fun. So kind of like I was talking about before um, – can you actually change your experience so that it's more enjoyable for you? So sort of choosing workouts, choosing one that's more fun for you, or uh, like listening to music or eating snacks when you're working on homework. Is that going to get you to stick with your homework more? Um, so it's actually trying to change behavior by making the experience more enjoyable. Hmm. You know, because um, going to your negative benefit, uh, so I've had, uh, I've had basically a gallbladder problem. Not to get too personal with you, Caitlin, but a gallbladder problem. And but what's interesting is your body gives you immediate feedback about something. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when I'm feeling good and I'm and I'm not having the gallbladder issue, my brain thinks, "Hey, just try, just try the enchilada, just try it. <laughs> like, what's the worst thing that could happen? Just try it." But um, and it's funny because my body, oh, my brain is like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure enchilada has fat in it, and you're not supposed to have fat in your diet. But maybe try it. Then, in the so then a second later, I try it, and now I'm sick. And in the sickness, I'm like, why did you try that? Right, it's, right. You're, it's so powerful what you're feeling and how that impacts your choices. Definitely, and I, I think you can you see that a lot with the medical domain too, with people adhering to medicine. So once you start to feel better, you don't think that you need to take the medicine anymore. Right. right? And so that's, yeah, that's sort of on, on similar lines. Definitely. So in a way, I guess, but it's almost like you can't harness the negative very long. Um, I mean, because as long as you're no longer feeling the negative, you, I mean, everybody has gone to a restaurant where they got sick or whatever, but it really doesn't last very long before you're thinking, hey, maybe we got to go back there. Like that was an anomaly. It, does the right, negative hold a? Does it just? Does the negative not last as long as the positive? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. So this is sort of very early on stages, and so this is something that we're we're trying to unpack too. Because on the other hand, you you do find that people remember negative things yeah. more. Oh, you think right? Out. So yeah, yeah. But maybe yeah. Isn't it weird, especially when it comes to our health? But. Um, and so many of us, like I had a really bad, I went and shot a video for a workout. Anyway, it was a nightmare. And um, it was so negative for me just to have to go through it publicly, A, and then 
just sweating but thinking I'm going to die and have a heart attack at the same time. Um, all of that made it so I cannot go to this one place to work out anymore. I just can't go there. Because it's, because it's stuck with you and you think uh-huh. you can't get that out. Yeah, yeah. like <laughs> get it out of my system. But meanwhile, the, the place had nothing to do with it, but it's, it's just the symbol that I made out of the place. Like that is the mm-hmm. sign of all things that are bad. I guess we do that as we're all trying to make it through our goals. Well, uh, Caitlin, this is cool research. Uh, We wish you the best of luck. Keep it up as you get to Cornell as well. Um, Again, her name is Caitlin Woolley, Ph.D. candidate at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, on her way to the faculty at Cornell University and uh, helping us be better. The article is called Goal Setting, What Separates Goals We Achieve from Goals That We Don't. We'll take a break, folks, when we come back. Lauren Simpson will be giving us an emotional intelligence quiz. All that ahead, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. The Matt Townsend Show. Hey, a little uh, quiz show music for you. Uh, Lauren Simpson joins us, and I was asking her really quickly at the break, what's your mate? But she, you're sticking with your maiden name, Lauren I, Simpson. I am. I, I've grown up my whole life with my last name, and I figured it probably doesn't matter until we have kids. So we're going to sort it out then. That's right. Well, it, but, so Jeff didn't ruin the name Simpson for you? No. Actually, he just stole it. That's all he did. He stole it. <laughs> Wait, how old are you? <laughs> I Je- think Jeff's I might been, be a little older yeah. than you. Jeff's been... Yeah, you probably... He's been using that name for a long time. He has, but I see... Actually, there's a girl on the wall. There's a girl named Lauren Simpson who yeah. won an award, and every time I pass it, I'm just so jealous. It's you, but, you know, people think it's you. People think... I like, won the award. Lauren, you're Lauren amazing. Simpson. I've been here 10 years. Well, Lauren is going to do a little quiz for us on emotional intelligence, one of my favorite subjects. I am, yeah. But maybe I won't know as much as I thought I know. Maybe not. We'll so find this out. is a true test. Yeah. Okay, well, the answers are over here. Because we hear emotional intelligence all the time. It's more valuable than intelligence intelligence. Right. We learned that you actually make more money in work, and you can climb the ladder faster if you've got emotional intelligence. Totally. All right. So the the first question is, 40% of our happiness level is in our control. True or false? 40% of our happiness level is in our control. I would say yes, at least. That is correct. Yes. The yes. other 60% has to do with our environment and stuff that happens. Yep. Can't control that. that. Control. Can't control the weather. Can't control your pancreas exploding in your gut. You can control how you look at it, though. I can control what I've eaten for 20 years. <laughs> and speaking of weather, that's actually the next question. Weather can influence our feelings, true or false? Oh, true. Totally. Definitely. Now, now it's it, why, though? Uh, is, it, is it actual? It's the it, sunlight. Sunlight, yeah. Oxytocin or uh, dopamine. What's it called? Um, Serotonin that comes from the sun as well. Yeah. But also just I wonder if the pressure, like barometric pressure. You know how people like they start like having an ache in their leg when it's going to snow? Well, I wonder if elevation then has to do with that. No, totally. Because my mom it just is right now in San Francisco area and she has a breathing problem here in Utah. But when she gets to San Francisco, she can breathe fine. So it's like we need to now move her to San Francisco. Right. And she doesn't want to go. 
<laughs> she wants to stay with her family. No, we're sending you off to San Francisco. She would be lovely there. She would become the new San Francisco treat. She, <laughs> she totally would. <laughs> ching, ching. The little bells on the trolley. Give okay. us more, Lauren. This All is right. cool. Well, you're doing well. The University of Florida study found that the smell of blank has a positive influence on your emotions. Uh, sweet rolls. <laughs> Wrong. Uh, okay, now, so the smell of... What makes you happy? What, what smell? Springtime? Something's in the air. Something you get your mom for Mother's Day. Uh, sweet rolls. Um, <laughs> I can't get sweet rolls out of my mind. Flowers, Matt. Oh, flowers. <laughs> Does it really? Yeah, flowers can make you happier. That's totally true. Lavender. And here we thought they were just dying on our kitchen table. Yeah. That's funny. Now, I hope my wife is listening because she doesn't like flowers. Really? Flowers make me happy. You've got your cake flower. You've got your I white flower. cake flower. Mm-hmm. You've got your coconut flower. Mm-hmm. And then perfumes. Yeah. Perfumes can make you happy, too. Oh, no, really? Yeah. Just certain types of perfumes. I didn't per- really list. Probably the expensive ones that I can't afford. But perf- Oh, I did not think a perfume would make you happy. That's, <laughs> it's interesting. But flowers, I the can totally The smell actually can. I like it. Okay. This is good. Good learning. All right. Certain foods can make you happy because they release tryptophan. Yes. Okay, can you name just one of these foods? Turkey. Turkey. Turkey is one of them. But what else releases tryptophan? Uh, nuts, chicken, milk that's in your cake. Uh, ah. Yeah. I can't eat cake. Cake is what set me off the other night. Well, you can blend it up. No, I can't have anything Yeah, fat liquefy it. it. Mm. No, because it's, it's the fat. Oh, don't even say the word cake. Oh, first, well, we know what we're going to bring you after your recovery. Okay, yeah. Oh, for sure. When I'm all healthy, bring me the cake. Okay, so most it. people, they know that Denmark's the happiest country in the world. Do you Wrong. know <laughs> Do you know where the U.S. ranks in that list? 30th. No. Higher? You're wrong. Higher. 20th. A little higher. 15th. 17th. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Well, it's actually six places behind last year. We're slipping. We're slipping. We're getting less happy. I'm sorry. It's because of the show. Is that what it is? We're not doing our job. (laughs) Focus. Okay, that's good news. I mean, not good news. Good news for Denmark, for heaven's sake. Right. Denmark's keeping... This is the second year in a row it's gotten first. And you think that that doesn't seem like it's always sunshiny and perfect and... We're not really sure what Denmark's doing over there. I think it's just they've got a cool life. I wonder if they're just optimistic. Someone hands out the survey and... Yeah, sure. They say, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. Sure. I like it. Okay. What okay. else? So officially in, I guess, scientific worlds, there are 19 smiles. They can categorize these by the way your muscles move and yeah. other things. Can you name one of them? Uh, the cheesy grin. Sure. <laughs> Actually, they don't have a lot of very scientific names for these 19 smiles. The only one that most people know is the Duchesne smile. So that's the authentic. Oh, really? Real the full-on smile. When you're super happy and someone tells just the they best call joke it you've ever heard. Duchesne smile. Oh, wow. And There's then the, the other ones are closer to what you said, like the polite smile. The, yeah, the, the cheesy nervous. smile, the nervous <laughs> smile. Mischievous. There's Jeff's smile. That's the mischievous smile. <laughs> like he's about to push a button. That's cool. Lauren, give us one more. One more quick one. All right. Um... You know, actually, that was all my questions. That was it. So you, by the way, the nice to change smile. One, no, you let like. me tally. Let me tally up your score here. Let's yeah, see how you, how do. you uh, did. Oh, not a winner today, Matt. Sorry. Uh, it was cannot. really close. It was really close. The guy cannot Next add. Time. Lauren Simpson, thank you so much. Great job. Fun. Great quizery. Quiz quizery. We will take a break, my friends. Come back. Hour number three up next. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, my dear friends, to uh, the Matt Townsend Show. It is, of course, Pack Rat Day, and we are celebrating it with excitement. Today is the day Jeff is going to continue. I think he's moving into his third cubicle now. Who can make a sunrise? Yeah. Little Sammy Davis Jr. My third cubicle? Yeah, because you're a pack rat. You keep moving. Oh, yeah. You got to keep moving you, and you just keep leaving little trails. I think you keep thinking this is the rat pack day. It is the pack rat day. Isn't that just another way of saying rat pack? No, no, no. Oh. The the pack rat would be the one that just keeps everything they've ever owned. Every magazine, every newspaper, every article. So now we're tracking the movements of rats. No, it would it, humans can be pack rats. And so today we're not necessarily celebrating the pack rat. We are just What have you got against the rat pack? He's not getting this, Terry. He's it's not sinking in. Can you next break take him aside and try to, you know? No. Okay. There are certain forces in the building that like that element of the show. Okay. The element where he doesn't get what we're talking about, that element? Yeah. Can you do a little like uh, John Madden? Is that his name? John Madden. Like Chalk Talk Play type thing? Chalk Talk and like walk him through the difference between a rat pack I, and I a don't, pack I rat. don't know if the effort would... Uh, be fruitful. I think it would end up in the same place. I think okay. he doesn't want to do it because he likes Sammy Davis Jr. Not really. He does though. He have you? He does. If you listen to the music he's playing in his car, you know it's a lot of Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> Although I will say he prefers the version. Ray Ray. He prefers the film version of this song. Really? Does he? Yeah. From Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Hey, There's no shame in that. I have the Willy Wonka soundtrack. Here's a question that it just dawned on me, but now I can't remember what it says. Um, you know how people put those crazy little, speaking of pack rats, they put those little, like they'll find a um, a cover, a surround, I don't know what they call it, for your license plate. Like a little saying that goes around your oh, yeah, license plate. Yeah, yeah, the plate. license plate frame, yeah. Do you guys have any of those? <laughs> Terry, I mean, I know Terry has yeah, I do. a license plate surround. What, what is your It's a say? license plate frame. Frame. Yeah. What does it say? Until the last brain cell dies. So what's happening until the last brain cell dies? What are you doing? It's up to interpretation. Go figure it out. It was a Mountain Dew commercial. The guy, like, opened the Mountain Dew. He drank it. And he said, until the last brain cell dies. And then he jumped out of an airplane because he was parachuting. And it okay. just hit me as... Did he die? No, he just parachuted out. But it just hit me as like, that is just over the top for no reason. But is it Sammy and, Davis Jr.? No. Until the last some, brain cell dies? It's just some guy. But as he did it, I was like, that's just completely out of line because I think that's... And they only aired it a few times. I, they may have got some pushback that maybe yeah. that was a little too much. But I thought it was exactly opposite of everything that I present as a, as a human being. So I put it on my car. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's great. The looks I get from people as they drive by sometimes, where you can see when they review, like looking at it, yeah. and they drive by to see who's driving. They're like, "What?" Because the Rat Pack, they were also known for partying hard. Yes, and uh, you, some of them did lose brain cells. They did quite a few. So I was wondering if that had any. If you were paying homage no. to Sammy Davis, <laughs> just just have a 
an odd license plate frame. Do you have a license plate frame? Mine actually says until the first brain cell dies. Okay. That's a different one. Haven't seen that one. <laughs> it's kind of strange. Okay, so today we will um, we will continue celebrating Rat Pack Day. Pat Rack Day, I mean, not Rat Pack, which we'll keep using the music from the Rat Pack. I mean, not using it, but... We've got more. Sharing it. Um, also, I, a really wonderful story from a well-known blogger and uh, writer, Christina uh, Kuzmik, will be joining us. Broken but not worthless. She tells the story about how she fell into this gaping hole of depression and funk. She was in a funk, and she's going to teach us how she got out of it. It's a pretty powerful story, and really, I think it is a pathway for everybody. They could, every one of us could follow the same pathway, find out what we're good at, and offer it to the world. Powerful stuff uh, there that I think will lift some hope. Um, also, just as we're celebrating pack rats, if you happen to live with one, just know that we're here for you. This is a good show that might help you gain the energy, the skills, the tools you need to help keep the relationship alive and maybe sometimes get someone the help they need as well. All of that ahead, but first let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on, my friend? The WannaCry ransom virus that has been sweeping the globe over the last week or so has been discovered on an IP address corresponding with a U.S. Army research computer, making it the first known U.S. government device affected by this virus. Oh, boy. Which could be seen as a good thing because the rest of the world's having problems with it, but our systems are not, but at the same time now maybe we're exposed. Earlier Monday, the White House Homeland Security Advisor Thomas Bosert claimed that as of, as of today, no federal systems are affected, but the IP address was observed communicating with the hacker server May 12th, indicating that the computer was successfully infected with the ransomware last week. Want to cry a virus that locks an infected computer until the owner agrees to pay a ransom to hackers? Began infecting computers on May 12th, quickly spreading to over 300,000 devices. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday declined to revive a civil rights lawsuit against a New, Me- a New Mexico police officer for arresting a 13-year-old boy who burped repeatedly in, uh, in class, disrupting the course of the class, a case that has raised questions about police conduct in school settings. The justices refused to hear an appeal by the boy's mother of a lower court ruling in favor of uh, Albuquerque officer Arthur Acosta that granted him qualified immunity, a legal defense that protects certain public officials from suits as long as they did not violate a clearly established law or constitutional right. Justice Neil Gorsuch did not take part in in, uh, considering whether to take up the case. Before joining the Supreme Court in April, Gorsuch was part of the three-judge federal appeals court panel in Colorado that previously ruled two to one in favor of the police officer. Huh kid was burping in class he was disturbing class yeah but you gotta you can't have that so the teacher calls the the in, in school cop and he shows up and arrests the 13 year old see this is the problem right yeah. i would have just uh, if i were the teacher i would take my phone film the kid doing it and then just send it to his mom yeah have but what if she what if she's a burper <laughs> you know then what she learned he learned from the best <laughs> so you get these odd stories that end up at the supreme court so unbelievable Women in their early 30s are for the first time having more babies than younger moms in the U.S., according to new data released from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. According to health experts, the shift was caused by more women choosing to wait longer to have kids, as well as a steady national drop in teen births. Now the birth rate for women in their 30 to 34 age group is about 103 103 births per 100,000 women. For women ages 25 to 29, it's 102 
per 100,000 women. The average age when women have their first child was 28. The overall birth rate was down to about 62 births per 100,000 women ages 15 to 44. Bill Albert of the National Campaign to Prevent Teen and Unplanned Pregnancy said teens are now growing up with fewer and fewer peers getting pregnant. We always talk about peer pressure as a negative, but it can be a force for good, he said. Yes, it can be a force for good. It can. Look at how we're straightening Jeff out. Yeah, just slight shaming and he feels better. An itty bitty bit of shame with it. Hmm? And finally, sometimes you put something out into the universe, sometimes the universe throws it right back at you, if only there was a word for that. Anyway, Chanel, you know, Chanel, the oh, perfume. Oh, you mean Channel? Yes, it's Channel. But Chanel is offering fire. For, uh, they're taking fire from social media and activists after including a $1,325 boomerang in its collection of new spring and summer accessories. Really? This according to the BBC. Beyond the people pointing out that it spends, uh, how ridiculous it would be to spend more than $1,300 on a boomerang. Uh, members and supporters of Australia's indigenous community are accusing the luxury brand of cultural appropriation because they have no connection to a boomerang. So why are they selling something like that? When right it's, when it's their hey, it's culture. our cultural icon. There's along with boomerangs, the company's also selling beach paddles and tennis rackets for thousands and thousands of dollars a piece. If you're interested that way too, huh? So if you want a thirteen hundred dollar boomerang, they have one. I'm good. You're good? You don't need one? I did get a boomerang when I was a kid and never could make it ring. You get one of those Nerf? No, I had a real one from Australia that somebody brought me. And I remember just hucking it, just heaving that bad boy. And I think I landed on the roof. Yeah. Like of my neighbor's house, not my house. It didn't even come back to me. The foam Nerf boomerang was awesome because it would go out and it'd come right back. Wow, it works. It works well because they put the three, yeah, what three arms I guess on the spindles instead of the the two boomerangs. It was great. You just you swing it and you could hit your brother and they come back to you. I took a ride on the boomerang at Knott's Berry Farm. I did also, and uh, lunch came back. I think we're talking about. I think we're talking about a different boomerang there. Mm. It's called the boomerang. Yeah, not not one that you throw. All of those rides at Knott's are pretty much designed to make you sick. I can't go to Knott's Berry Farm without getting sick. I, even thinking right there when you said that, my my glands started salivating. In my well, mouth. would you like me to describe the no, ride no, no, for no, you? No, no, okay. no, no, no. We're good. We're good. Hey, one of the things we've been on a ride lately, and I'm trying to figure it out. I, I've, I've delegated it to Jeffrey somewhat, but it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Mm. Some of it may be my sickness because I'm in and out right, right. all the time. Um, but – the deal is we need more contributors. So I've asked Jeff to find some more contributors. He's been testing out a few. We've talked to um, Bob Moss, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who is a plant expert that would do plant therapy on the on the show. We, he'd do a segment every week where we would listen to a plant. Uh, so far, that's the leading. Really? Uh, that's wow. The, that's the leading contender. Nice. I think number one. And then we talked to a comedian that's an airline comedian. Only works shows up in the air. Because it, it doesn't want his audience to yeah. leave during the act. And he, I think he's a Southwest flight or, attendant. Or United. I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. They can throw their peanuts at him, though. Yeah, they can. Um, and then we had the IT guy that didn't have any knowledge about anything. Mm. But, and it was just fun to listen to how little he knew. Okay. 
But I just thought that would wear thin, you know. Mm-hmm. We're already doing that a lot, listening to a lot of stuff that nobody knows. And then um, – so we've got another idea and I'm not sure how this will fly because it's it's cooking – it's a cooking show on the radio. You know, so you lose a lot. You lose a lot of – you lose the smells. You it's, lose yeah. – it's a very visual. It's, yeah, cooking's a very visual thing. Yeah, and it's sh- all in the storytelling. It's all in the description. Yeah, it is, mm. and um, it's the, the deal is I'm not sold on it, but he's already putting together his like the sound and the audio for it. It's cooking with Kiko. Kiko is uh, Palakiko Chandler, one of our coaches I and mean, one of our um, producers. I was going to say coaches, mm. but he's one of our producers. Uh, and he's he, already here in the building. He's from Hawaii, so he has a lot of island flair. He likes to make a lot of things with coconut and uh, coconut milk. Mm. Um, and so Cooking with Kiko is the show that we're, we're thinking about playing and, and doing. But, Jeff, what have you put together for us? Well, I've given us four different flavors of jingles, if you will. Now, Palakiko and I actually haven't spoken Okay. But I was just told to move forward with these jingles. Okay. So, I didn't know that it would have an island flair to it, so unfortunately none of these jingles will either. Okay. Um, the first one Flareless. is just like a really simple, sensitive, almost something like you'd hear on uh, Mr. Rogers. So and, why are we doing a jingle if we're not sure we're going to do Palakiko's segment? Well, because, again, you throw out everything, see what sticks, and this <laughs> way we'll be prepared. Because I'm not going to have much. Okay. One, I don't have time to figure okay. out what kind of a show it's so, going to be. So, people, you can listen in, and if you have a favorite, tweet us at Doctor at Doctor Matt Show. We'd love to hear your insights on which of the songs or jingles you like best for Cooking with Kiko. If it happens to make it to air, okay. This one's just a simple, sensitive one. Okay. Cooking with Pella Kiko and Matt Townsend. Hmm. Okay, I didn't like that one. Hmm. That one left a bad taste. I think maybe that was a little too simple for you. So I'm thinking I'm thinking for this next one we have like this big musical production. We bring in some who some is, like can can dancers. Who is the singer on that first one? That she her voice drove me crazy. Um so yeah, this one is much more involved. Okay, so we'll go to number a two. Bigger, I think we have a bigger budget if we go with this one. Okay. Better than Dawson's Creek, oh, or even Twin Peaks, oh, and Antiques Roadshow is the world's best food show. It's cooking with Kiko. Hmm. Hmm. It's got a lot in that one. Yeah. I mean, they, they covered a lot of ground. It's better than Twin Peaks, Roadshow, Antiques Road, Roadshow. Antiques Roadshow, and Dawson's Creek. And it's cooking with Kiko. Sounds really good. I think we need to recut that jingle and have you sing. Yeah, we might want to. Okay. Uh, okay now this one, imagine this is like a 90s sitcom. It's a little cheesy, but, you know, we're not quite sure who the audience is yet. Okay. So we just want to have – we just so, want to so cover the all 90s, spectrum. 90s version. Yeah. Here we go. Take a little flour, crack open an egg. Don't forget to add some love. Mix it in a pot, and pretty soon you've got the lovable and huggable man, Palakiko. Huh. I think Kiko, Palakiko likes that one the best yeah, so he's, far. I, he's wiping a tear off his <laughs> That one, I don't know, that one gave me the willies a little bit. Willies, huh? Wow. So again, we're, we just want to make sure that we cover all the demographics. Uh, 
here's our last one. It's I'm, I'm going to tell you it's a little different. Okay. Um, right, hold on. You might want to back up from your headphones a different, little bit. Different from different from those first three. Okay, that's because okay. the first three were normal. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Again, I don't know what type of food show this is going to be, but uh, hopefully this covers the entire spectrum. Yeah. You got a party of 25 coming over. You just don't know what to cook, so you better, better. You better turn on the TV and watch Cooking with Kiko. Hmm. Cooking with Kiko. I think that's going to pull in the younger listeners. Well, and the deaf ones, yeah. Well, they're deaf now. Yeah. That's kind of a hair band you know, version of the show. And maybe you bring up a good point. People with long hair have no business in the kitchen because then the hair right. gets in all the totally, food. Totally. And We'll wear a hairnet. Yeah. Got to wear a hairnet. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Cooking with Kiko, um, apparently a show we, won't, we will not be doing. Um, what? No matter how hard we just tried. It's sad. And it would have been, I think it would have been a good show for a couple series. I don't know. Uh, maybe let's just, on the way out. Let's, Let's do the first one because it includes you in it. Well, I like the second one. I think it was the one that we were going to have to go with. The big musical number? There yeah. was the simple, sensitive one, the big musical number, the 90s sitcom, and yeah. the uh, hair I, band. I, I think I want to go – if we're going to go big, let's go big. Let's go big stage, big musical. Okay. We'll do it on the way out. So Cooking with Kiko um, – Probably not going to happen, but we have a great jingle. If somebody wants to buy it, uh, just give us a call, one eight five five chat byu We're selling jingles now on the air. At least give him a pilot. Maybe he'll cook something that is so good that you'll want to put the show on. I'm just saying. Maybe we ought to have him try something at home, bring in the remains, and let's we'll test it. The remains? I don't know what we call it. Bring in the <laughs> dish. <laughs> bring in the remains. That sounds like, yeah, that sounds negative. Uh, cooking with Kiko. Um, and again, just a little music. Does this feel right? Better than Dawson's Creek, oh, or even Twin Peaks, oh, and Antiques Roadshow is the world's best food show. It's cooking with Kiko. You know, life is hard. If you haven't noticed, there is no getting around it. But for some reason, it makes us feel better when we learn that we aren't the only ones struggling. And one awesome example of this is our next guest, Christina Kuzmich. She's a freelance writer, a blogger, and uh, she's become a YouTube sensation as well with her mom-centric videos about raising children and juggling all of life's challenges. Now she has over 300 million views across media outlets and other websites worldwide. And she's here today to talk about uh, an article she wrote, Broken But Not Worthless, uh, Christina Kuzmich. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I loved this story, this article you wrote. You're so real. And um, honestly, you were in a deep, dark funk. You were depressed and you found a way out. Yes, I was I was newly divorced. I had a two and a three year old at the time and um, did not ask for child support, just kind of wanted to leave with no drama and no court cases and none of that. And um, ended up finding myself almost homeless because of all oh. of that. So I was um, sleeping on the floor. I couldn't even afford a bed. My kids and I shared a little room, and a friend of mine bought them bunk beds so they wouldn't have to sleep on the floor. And it was just, I just sunk into a really deep depression. That was something I really never experienced in my life before. I mean, it's, and you, what I love about your, your site and your work is you, you just kind of jump right in. You, 
and you share it in such a real way that I think I'm I'm sitting there and I'm a married uh, man with six kids in Utah and I'm sitting there thinking I totally relate to her. I totally wow. feel like Christina. And again, I didn't know where it was going, but you you were down and you you've got the not the burden, the blessing of the kids, but the reality of the kids are you're not doing this alone. You've got to get these kids through this as well. Is is this something that you find in your writing? Um, does it does it resonate? Is that what you do is just recognize there's universal issues we're all dealing with and we need to talk about it? Yeah, I mean, my theory is that every single person struggles, every single human struggles. And once you become a parent, you know, that struggle in a way multiplies because now you're not just worried about your own, you know, well-being. You're worried about the most important people in your life. And so and a lot of times as we become parents, especially, we're expected to just be perpetually grateful. And, you know, I think parenthood is amazing. I feel so thankful and blessed that I was able to have children. I was actually told in college because of some health issues, I wouldn't be able to. Oh, wow. So the fact that I have three children, I, you know, all natural, I didn't have to worry about getting pregnant. It just happened. is such a blessing. But I think what happens is that a lot of moms feel guilty admitting that they, and dads too, that they don't love every second of it, that Mm -hmm. it gets really hard. And so they have to put on this fake face of, yeah, everything's great. I love it. And so when somebody comes along and goes, you know what? Not loving every moment of motherhood or parenthood doesn't mean you don't love your children. And, you know, it's okay to admit that we all struggle and we all have hard days. I think it just gives people a freedom. Like I, I compare it to, you know, you feel like you're drowning in stress and someone finally gives you a chance to take a deep breath and go, it's okay, it's mm. okay. It's so true. Um, and, but by by mentioning it, by you mentioning it, and then getting all of the attention and, and the acclaim that you get because of it, I guess you've hit the nerve. I mean, a lot of, and I think some of this is Facebook, social media, because we tend to show only the pretty side. But if we go to your website, com, you see sometimes the not so pretty side. Well, you in a pretty dress, but cleaning the toilet. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, I mean, there, I actually, there's a reality to the whole thing. Yeah, I actually, it's funny you mentioned the social media thing, because a few months ago I made a video called um, How to Fake Your Perfect Life on Social Media, and I sarcastically <laughs> give examples of this is how, you know, you can make your life appear really great and perfect and flawless on social media. And it's these ridiculous examples, you know, where my teenage son won't hug me for a photo, so I take a photo of him with a girl he likes, and I Photoshop my face on hers so that I can <laughs> post it. Look, my son loves, you know, it's just, it's over the top ridiculous, but I'm exactly trying to point out what you're talking about, is that, you know, we, we, try, we literally exhaust ourselves trying to paint our life into this perfection that it's not, instead of going, listen, I'm flawed, my life is flawed, and that doesn't make it bad, it makes it wonderful, because we're getting through it, and we're making the best of it, and, you know, my opinion is that our struggles and our flaws actually make us much better, you know, realer yeah, people. Yeah, Totally. No, don't you think? And I mean, and again, I think we need leaders like you that are leaders in the industry. And again, you're leading because you resonate and it resonates with people. Then you bring up, I think, another issue like depression and because mm-hmm. depression and it's interesting because the way I, I read your I read your articles is I listen to them. So um, mm-hmm. I just download them to a reader and then the reader talks like Siri to me, my new my my love of my life. And um <laughs> But I, when I hear it and then I hear how well you write and I, you're like – I mean your first sentence in the Broken But Not Worthless article is I was sad. 
understatement. Yeah. I was depressed, depressed. And then you mentioned the word depressed a dozen times or so. Um, talk about how you got out of – this is just one example, I think, of what you bring to life. But talk about how you found your way out of depression. Sure. So what I realized after months of just, you know, being in a really bad place was one day it just hit me. I'm completely obsessed with myself, like in a really bad way. I'm obsessed with my misery. And the people, other people that I've talked to that have gone through depression say the same thing. Yep. That's, I mean, I think I write in the article something like I breathe and ate and drank and made out with self-pity. And that's hmm. literally how it felt. I literally, that is all I thought about was my life is horrible. I am miserable. This will never get better. And that's, that's a normal feeling when you're depressed, right? Everything right, is right. doom and gloom. And so I thought, you know, I had this, you know, brilliant thought one day. I don't know if it was brilliant or what. And I thought, oh, my gosh, the only way to get out of that obsession with myself is to, you know, put it towards someone else. I'm going to start obsessing, you know, over something positive, something else. And so I decided to volunteer. And I called up, you know, hospitals and homeless shelters <laughs> and soup kitchens and got denied from every single place. Yeah, we don't need you to I, volunteer. That's so right, sad. Which... Which, by the way, if you already feel like a you know completely worthless loser, mm-hmm. a volunteer organization denying you to come help, like that's going to take you to a whole nother level. I of, can't even you know, volunteer, leadership. right? Yeah, right. Exactly. But the reason they wouldn't take me is that a two and a three year old, and I was broke and couldn't afford a babysitter, so I'd have to bring them. And you know, you, nobody wants two and a three year old right. So, um, so then I'm back again with all these depressed feelings, and nobody wants me. You know, I can't even volunteer. And then I started thinking one night, okay, even though I feel worthless, even though I have nothing, is there one tiny little thing I can do and I'm good at? And the only thing, which seemed pointless, but the only thing I could think of was I know how to cook a big meal with no money. Like, I can cook a huge meal on a very small budget. And so without even thinking it through, completely impulsively, I sent an email to all my friends in my city, and I said, every Wednesday night I'm going to feed people in my little apartment. And so if you know somebody who's, you know, struggling, who's maybe homeless, if you know someone who, you know, is just lonely, like an elderly man who just lost his wife or something, whoever, whatever the yeah. need is, I will feed people. And, uh, and then I talk about an article how that first Wednesday made this big pot of pasta and basically these strangers started showing up <laughs> in my house. And I fed over, I mean, I could cry right now. Every time I talk about it, I get, you know, choked up. But I fed over 30 people um, wow. in my tiny, tiny little apartment, you know, on, on you food know, stamps. Yes, and there's something so powerful. I, I, I won't forget those images of me handing a plate of food to somebody. By the way, a lo- a, not all these people were poor. A right. lot of these people had more money than me. They just needed company. They just, you know, they needed a home-cooked meal for whatever reason. They were new to town, whatever. And so for me, this girl that's feeling so small and like a loser, to be giving something, going, look, I have something to offer you. And then, you know, the next day I get emails. Oh, my gosh, that night meant so much. Thank you so much. And I'm sitting there bawling my eyes out going, wow, even when I feel like I have nothing, I still have something to offer. And that's that was beautiful. a turning point for me completely. Because I still, to this day, life is way better. Things are, you know, yeah. good now. And I still approach my life that way. I'm done focusing on what I don't have and I can't do and all the bad stuff in my life. And even if the list of things I can do and am good at is smaller than that list of negatives, I'm focusing on that small list. And that's what's led me to really enjoy and embrace my life. And you... It's really neat because before it all, you were so motivated, you got it all done. I mean, by the way, Christina, it's absurd, right? Because you don't even have the money to do this. You didn't even have right. the money. You, you went to the dollar store to yeah. go to go find all of this food and to buy the pasta 
and then you put all your money into it. And a half hour before, you were terrified, like, what if no one shows? What if no one shows? And you open the door at 6 o'clock and no one's there. And five minutes later, though, they start coming. Yeah, because you have to understand, think of, like, a friend that is just in the worst place. Would you ever bring people you know to their house? Yeah, I just thought train wreck. Like, no. Yeah, all my friends are going to be embarrassed. Like, here's this depressed girl. She's always crying. She's struggling. She's got all these issues. I'm not bringing my friends over there. So I just... I thought no one was going to show up. But they did. And I guess, too, that that's part of this um, because you 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 also had a network of friends that got, you know, that Christina, she can cook and this will be a great experience. And you don't know this, I guess, is what you don't know. You don't know what part of it was charity for you, uh, what part of it was just charity for others. But in the end, everybody, those that sent people to you knowing it would be good for you, those that sent people to you because they know you would help them, it just, it made everything better. Yeah. I mean, one of my best friends um, who actually brought some people that night, that first night and continued because I continued doing these for about a year, um, he said to me, you know, we all pretended at the time that this was about, oh, yeah, she's helping these people. We all knew that this was really medicine for you. You needed this. You know, so it's like my friends knew this. Yes, all these people will be helped. Yes, all these people will have a great meal. But this is she needs this to heal herself. Yeah. So they they knew it. You know what? Um, by the way, the whole time I'm reading it, too, I'm thinking what a great lesson for your kids, because your oh, your kids were involved. You had them serve water. You had them get the napkins. Yeah. I mean, it's brilliant. And it, it was a family event. Did what was it like for them, do you sense? I mean, you know, it's interesting. You know, Mother's Day was just last Sunday, and we were sitting around at dinner, and I'm remarried now, and my husband was like, okay, guys, tell mom something you love about her. And, you know, I was expecting them to be like, she's funny sometimes, or, you know, I <laughs> yeah. like her meatballs or whatever. And they both actually focused on that. And I don't think I even realized how much, not just that story, but obviously, you know, I've continued to do stuff with them where we, how can we think of others? How can we do random acts of kindness? How much that impacts them? You know, uh, we have kids and we ask them to do this stuff. And a lot of times they're like, mom, do I have to? You know, that's the reaction we get. Or I'd rather just play video games than go, you know, hand out sandwiches or whatever, (laughs) whatever the deal is. We get this reaction from them and we don't realize till later. And I didn't really realize till last Sunday how much it actually meant to them and how much it's impacted them. And um, it was just really great to have my teenage son be like, Mom, I, I, I know sometimes you don't even realize how much I remember. And, you know, because he was really young when everything was happening. He, but he's like, I'm, when, and when I have a hard day, I always think if my mom could get through it, I can get through it. So, I mean, I was, you can imagine I was bawling. <laughs> so I know it's impacted them in bigger ways than I even thought. Did it, do you sense that... Um, it helped you because, you know, a lot of people would think, well, depression, you know, it's a chemical thing and you got to get the meds. And um, how did it help you out of your depression? I mean, in long term, did depression just kind of go away for you? Was it more of a situational thing for you? Well, see, I think depression just comes in so many different forms. And I think there are people that, you know, genetically inherit something or, you know, that just depression runs in their family and that they might need medication. And, you know, for me, I had, I don't know much you know about my backstory, but I grew up in Croatia and a war started there when I was 12 and from 12 to 
uh, almost 15 when we moved to the States, I spent a lot of nights in basements, you know, trying not to die, basically. So I had gone through heavy stuff before that didn't sink me into a depression. You yeah. know, this was like, I, I knew at the time, like, this is, when I was depressed, it felt permanent. But looking back, I realized, you know, it was this circumstance that, you know, it wasn't something I'd struggled with before. And so for me, this was, you know, this was my way out. And I think, that, I think for some people, stuff like this will help, just like getting outside your head and thinking about others. And other people might need, you know, to see a therapist regularly or need to get a medication. I just think it's a case-by-case yeah. thing. No, I think you're right. And, and I, know, I, w- I would never be one to tell anyone, like, just do this. And just do it this don't way. Don't yeah. worry about seeing a doctor. Yeah. No. Like, do what you need to do to make yourself healthy. And two, I think there's power in the fact that you listen to like a prompting, whatever this aha moment you had, you listen to it that, and you recognized I'm into me. It's not a selfish thing, but when you're depressed, you get into yourself. If there's a way I can get out of myself, and then you found a way out that works with your world. Let's uh, take a break. We're speaking with Christina Kuzmich. You can go to her website, Christina Kuzmich, K-U-Z-M-I-C.com. And check out our wonderful website there as well. We'll take a break, come back, continue the journey, helping us understand uh, the value and the worth of a soul. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Our guest today is Christina Kuzmich. She is uh, a blogger, has a wonderful um, website, ChristinaKuzmich.com. She's also a speaker and a YouTuber. Uh, The Huffington Post referred to Christina's videos as parenting comedy at its finest. The Inquisitor praised her for her witty charm. And we are telling you, she's the bomb mom. And we appreciate you, Christina. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. This, uh, when the, I think, guess the key to what I see in your work is it's, you're just real. Struggles are inherent in life and parenting um, and marriage. How do you, what are some little guides or some tools that you give to, to not be taken, uh, you know, to not be swept away in life? Um, I think the main thing is just realizing you're normal. I mean, I, I think we all feel these things. I mean, every single human goes through these things of feeling guilty or, oh, I don't want anyone to know that I had this thought or I don't want anyone to know that, you know, I didn't make a home-cooked meal seven days in a row, whatever. Yeah. And we just, we lay in bed at night and we literally just beat ourselves up over all the things we didn't do and all the things we feel bad about. And so I always tell parents, you know what? You're so busy focusing on the things you didn't accomplish that you forgot to focus on the things you did accomplish. So why don't you write those down, right? I mean, even the general stuff, like, I kept my kids alive today, you know? (laughs) Nobody died. Yeah, my house is still standing. You know, I didn't get arrested today. I mean, even the funny stuff, like, whatever it is, just, just write down, even if they're silly and they just make you laugh, or, like, real accomplishments, because we're, this is what I always tell people, we are our worst abusers. I mean, yeah. we really are. If I would never, ever talk to my friends, my loved ones, the way I sometimes, you know, inwardly, my mind, where my mind goes, talk to myself. 
I would never be that mean to somebody else. And so I tell people, treat yourself the way you would treat your best friend, like whoever you adore the most in the world, your child, whoever. Treat yourself the same way. So when those thoughts creep up, you know, if your friends were saying that about themselves, you'd be like, that's not true. You're amazing. You're great. We, we treat ourselves the worst. And so we got to start focusing on the positives and the accomplishments daily, even if they're tiny accomplishments, instead of beating ourselves up. Mm. And how do you not lose your worth, right? I mean, that the article, Broken But Not Worthless, what advice do you get? I mean, because we attach our worth to so many things like you're talking about, like being the perfect mom or having the perfect lunch or having the perfect outfit. And these are all things you kind of debunk in your program, yeah. I mean, in your on your site. How do we not attach our worth to something that's going to, you know, disappear. And instead, what do we attach it to? Well, here's what I always say. You know, I, you got to think what matters long term. And whether I have the nicest house or the best hair or the whatever really does not matter long term. And also, I always say, you know, what gives me... I've never done drugs. I've never been, even been interested in doing drugs. Yeah. So I always think what my high in life has been doing for others. It literally gives me a high. And I always tell people, if you are stuck on, oh, this is bad and this is bad, it's just like, you know, when I did those Wednesday night dinners with my kids and we still do various different versions of things, that is that, is that thing that's going to make you go, wow, my life is worth something. The minute you give outside yourself, if you are just obsessed with, your, again, your own life being perfect and your kids being perfect, and it's, it's all about you. And the minute you turn that around and go, no, I'm going to make it about somebody else. I'm going to go, you know, a video I just made recently is called Try This With Your Teen. And it's this, you know, because parents ask me for activities with kids. Yeah. One of my favorite family activities. And you can even do this on a date night. It doesn't have to be with your kids, but I love doing it with my kids. We'll get in the car. And we have absolutely no plan. And I'll say, okay, we have two hours to complete three random acts of kindness with literally no plan. And now the kids are having a brainstorm as we're driving around, you know, and we'll see a, in the video I give the example, we see a laundromat. And my son, the first time we drove by one, my son said, oh, my goodness, I totally take the fact that we have a washer and a dryer in our house for granted. Let's hmm. go over there and let's, you know, bless someone with some quarters. And so we did. We got a bunch of quarters and he walked up to this lady and handed her a bunch of quarters. I mean, she started crying over quarters, you know, something that we didn't even think was a big thing, but it meant a lot to her. You know, just so just driving around and finding these random ways, and they don't all require money. You right. know, one thing was we went into a parking lot that was just covered with shopping carts because people didn't put them back, and we thought, let's help these employees out. We took every single one of those carts back where it belonged. I mean, just, but I'm telling you, like, even my kids, because kids also get very self-consumed, especially in their teen years. Mm-hmm. I mean, they come back, and my kids are like, oh, my gosh, that was so fun. When are we doing it again? Because it's just giving of yourself and thinking of others is such a high. I mean, it is, like, the best way to sort of feel worth something, right, because you are doing something good for others. Mm, so true. I mean, it really, and again, it's... It's just I always call it arrows out versus arrows in. When we are yeah. when we're anxious, we go arrows in. We worry about us. When we're depressed, we get go arrows in. Anytime you can direct those arrows out of us, it's, it, there's power there. Talk about um, your your marriage, your husband, because I mean, a lot of times life throws you a curveball in our marriages and our relationships. Things don't turn out the way we had dreamed. It's not the fairy tale. Then we feel alone and and broken, but also, like you said, it became the moment, um, this became a really defining moment for you as you were able to figure your way out of this. What is it, how does bringing now uh, your husband into your life 
How has that changed it? And I mean, instead of just making life easier, it's complicated it, I'm sure, and enhanced it. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think with marriage, it's like we just got to accept that nobody's perfect. We're not perfect. They're not perfect. You know, and I think we, you know, sometimes I hate all those Disney movies because they give kids an idea that life is a fairy tale and it's not. But I also think I think the problem is that we want marriages to be good just by being good without our actually us actually having to put much effort into it. It's like, you know, we want we want romance and excitement and all this stuff in, in marriage to just show up like like you order it on Amazon Prime and a box arrives and you open it and all of a sudden, oh, here's the fun <laughs> and the romance. There it is. You know, it's like we get lazy. We don't want to work at it. And so um, I think because I've gone through a divorce and, you know, a bad marriage, I probably have a different perspective where I appreciate more, you know, the things that maybe I would overlook. Yeah. You know, I hadn't gone through that. But um, I think it's all, I think we have so much power to create the kind of marriage we want. And, you know, we just, my husband and I do a lot of, you know, we always think like, okay, am I treating my spouse the way I treated them when I first liked them? Because we don't, you yeah. know, we, we get over the newness, you know, the, everything new is fun, right? It's like a new car. We love the smell of a new car. We're so excited. Three years later, it's like, oh, it's just a car. You know, we love the smell of this new person we're dating. And five years later, what, why do you smell so bad? And it's like, but their smell hasn't changed, you know? Right. It's just that our... We've changed the way we perceive things. We've taken them for granted. So to me, it's all about remembering like, okay, how did I treat you when we first got together? And am I still treating you with that same awe and love and respect and kindness? Again, it's doing it, right? And and seeing it and then needing to do it. And here's the thing. We actually get more out of it when we put work in. It's like anything else. The things you work for, you appreciate more. So if you're working at your marriage and you're really putting in the effort and, you know, you're both working through problems, you're going to appreciate it more because it's something you worked hard to create, this partnership, this family. So true. And, and yet we expect it to be natural, flawless, easy. It should just come natural, like childbirth. Yeah, I mean, it's, and again, that's the problem, even with whether it's marriage or parenthood right we just think it's just going to happen and everything's going to be perfect and it's not life is hard i mean that's the truth life is hard and if anybody tells you it's not they're lying to you i don't believe that (laughs) i believe that every single person struggles there may be huge struggles there may be tiny struggles but we all struggle and if we only see our spouse or our children just as human beings just like us who are going to you know, have bad days, who are going to mess up, who are going to be insensitive sometimes, then we can give them more grace and be more forgiving because we're not, we're not putting this expectation of perfection on them. So true. Christina, thank you. Uh, awesome, awesome insight. Christina Kuzmich is her name. Uh, go to her website, christinakuzmich.com, K-U-Z-M-I-C.com. Christina with a K, christinakuzmich.com. Awesome stuff, folks. Again, it's you. It's it's each of us. We are the we're the change, and our direction matters. The direction that we we place our attention, our focus, it matters, and people matter. And get out of yourself and serve. I know it's hard. It's not the end all be all, but get the help you need as well. And let's maybe sometimes serve our way out of this broken but not worthless. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, Caitlin Thomas will be joining us giving us some insight as well. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Caitlin Thomas, who has graduated from Brigham Young University and uh, is now looking for a job. So if you have a job for Caitlin, one eight five five chat byu She's one of our great producers. <laughs> and uh, today she's talking about moms. You know, we celebrated Mother's Day Sunday, the day we all get together to thank our moms for doing everything that they've done for us. I don't think there's ever enough to just say it out loud. You know, there's more moms need than just, hey, good, good one, mommy. They've been sacrificing forever. They've dedicated their lives. So today, Caitlin is going to, I guess, help us. Yeah. Thank our moms. Thank our moms. Well, and I was looking up some like famous moms. Yeah. And there's some pretty cool things that moms, women, I mean, they're women, but they were moms when they did these cool things, which makes it because being a mom is a full-time job. Yeah. And it's then you got to add, you know, some moms work, they go, they have a career, some moms don't, they stay home. Right. Either way, it's like moms are incredible. Like, can you imagine being married to <clears throat> Jeff and I or either of us and have a full-time job and the children and still have to deal with us? Exactly. So that's the thing is like my mom, my whole life, she's, I mean, she is super. She would go to work. She would wake up early so that she could do a load of laundry. <sighs> Get us ready. Make sure we all had packed lunches, got us breakfast, you know, got us to school. And then yeah. she would go to work all day and then the carpool would pick us up and then she would come mm-hmm. home and take care of us and cook dinner, take care of my dad and do the whole thing all over again. I don't know. And again, She's yeah, done it for and you years. do it again tomorrow. I know. It's amazing. It's incredible. I was thinking um, women like J.K. Rowling. She's one of my favorites, right? She's one of my heroes. Yeah. But she was a mom when she was almost completely broke. I'm not really sure what happened, but she wasn't. The the father wasn't around. Yeah. I don't really know the whole situation, but she was fairly broke, and she had all these kids that she was trying to take care of. So she was doing all these odd jobs and really couldn't live her dream of writing this book. She wrote the first chapter of Harry Potter on a napkin while she was at a cafe, <laughs> and that's what they turned in, and that's how she ended up getting published. But like she worked really hard. And, Unbelievable. Yeah, like she just like in our, her spare time. Our last guest. Maybe you need the you need the difficulty that creates the determination, right? It makes you decide if you're really going to offer your greatest offering. J.K. Rowling pulls out a napkin and starts writing right, it on a napkin. Writing, you know, like it's incredible that her brain could even still think yeah, after, <laughs> that creatively after yeah. all the other stress. And the fear. And uh, right. you wonder how many masterpieces have been lost right. because of, you know, the anguish of having to just make of it like through a real life. life. Right. So she's pretty much a super mom. That's and cool. Now she's kind of like a mom to all of her fans. She donates a lot of money and helps a lot of people. So that's pretty cool. There's this other lady. Um, her name's Candy. Cool. Candy. Candy Lightner. In 1980, a hit-and-run drunk driver killed one of her 13-year-old twin daughters, oh, Carrie. Because the driver had had three prior convictions for drunk driving and had been arrested two days prior for a different hit-and-run. Oh, boy. So within a few months, Lightner founded the Mothers Against Drunk Driving to try to end drunk driving, pass tougher legislation, and help the victims of drunk drivers. That's cool. So she's the lady that started um, MAD, or Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which is pretty incredible considering the really awful thing that happened to oh, her. yeah. And women and moms, I just moms are just so compassionate and forgiving. Like, moms are the first ones to forgive people that wrong... Well, it depends. Yeah. But in, in these, some, she could have been angry. She could have been mad. But instead, she took all of that and she, she turned it into an organization. She got organized. Helping thousands of people every well, day. Well, think of how many thousands of lives have been saved and just the awareness about right. driving, driving under the influence or while and now intoxicated. And now we have programs in schools. It's cool. So, really cool. Some awesome moms. And then really quick for you, and I just want to plug in my mom. Your mommy. What's her full name? 
Jennifer, Jennifer I, Thomas. I've met Jennifer. She's an amazing woman. She is. And you know what? She she deals with a lot. She's got four kids. Oh, and one of them's difficult. Me. <laughs> I wasn't even talking about that one. <laughs> um, yes, you. And she's sacrificed all of her kind of, not her dreams and stuff because her dream is being a mom, but a lot of her talents and a lot of her hobbies. Mm-hmm. Her talent and her hobby is now coming to watch her kids do their talents yeah. and their hobbies and yeah. driving us everywhere. And she's the mom that, you know, says, hey, mom, we don't have a ride in the movie theater. She'll take us. Hey, mom, I don't have a ride home. She'll bring us all home. Um, she's the mom who always has food in the pantry for my friends. Everybody wanted to come to my house because my mom, if she knew friends were coming over, she'd throw a plate of nachos into the oven and cook it for everybody. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, she's she doesn't really even ask twice. She's had multiple different people who have been friends with me and my older sibling. Yeah. Um, come in and out who were kind of uh, hooligans, and she's taken them in and kind of become their, really, their second surrogate mom. mom. Yeah, yeah, and like, and she's helped um, them get into college. My one, he's quote unquote my older brother, actually just graduated from the police academy. Oh my heavens! Ago, and he gave a lot of that credit to my mom because. He's married now and has this amazing wife, but he said, like, I wouldn't have even been in a place to marry this woman if hmm. it hadn't had the, you know, second mom that totally. I had to take care of me. So I just want my mom to know she's a super mom. She's a superhero. I'm sure that your mom's a super My mom's mom. a superhero. My mom is hanging out in San Francisco loving life right now. Good for her. She deserves it. She totally does. I exhaust her. <laughs> I really do. But when you think about your mom, um, it's interesting. The older you get the shorter this opportunity to be with your mom is, right? So it's like it gets scary because you start – you're young still, so you've got forever. But at my age, it's like, you know, I could have died of pancreatic – pancreatitis. You know, I could have – I could have kicked the bucket a week ago. Well, and you just never know what's going to happen. Like I I look – all of a sudden, like the older I get, the more I start to realize that things – you know, I've had people get in car wrecks and they survive oh. miraculously. But, you know, there's small things like that every day. So just Take care tell of your, your mom, mom you love her because I don't think moms get enough credit. I think you're right. And let's hold them up as heroes that they are. They are. And don't demean their their position as a mom. Like it's right. probably the greatest thing that a woman could do if they the choose greatest. to do, you yeah. know. And I love my mom. I love you, mom. She's great. She's lucky to have you. You're lucky to have her. I We're am. lucky to have you for a little bit longer. I only have a few more of these till the end of this month. Caitlin Thomas is her name. If you have a job for her, one eight five five chat byu She's not only our great producer, she's our great charity. We'll be back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show.